Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Find your way. Come on, all you vampires with your blood-sucking ways. Come on and turn me out. Ooh, when the lights go out. How you gonna find your way? How you gonna find your way? Welcome into your Tuesday, the 7th of March. Good to have your company today. Um, before I tell you what's happening on the show, had a letter. I've had a letter delivered to the studio. And um, I'm trying to guess by the writing that it's um, from someone very, very young. It's in printing. A few spelling mistakes, but that's okay. <clears throat> I'm going to read you the letter. Unbelievable. Stop saying this word repeated over and over, sometimes up to 10 times a day. You moan and groan and get annoyed at people who keep saying learnings. So listen back to your show to hear unbelievable repeated over and over. You stupid idiot. Saying it as everyone doesn't believe it, as saw with your own eyes or heard with your own ears. No name. But... They took their time to handwrite it, put it in an envelope, put a dollar ten worth of stamps on it, and sent it to the studio. I thank you, young listener. I wasn't aware I say unbelievable ten times a day during the show. But thank you very much for your feedback. Warmly received. That is unbelievable, Sandy. <laughs> that someone sent you. That is unbelievable. They've taken the time. They've taken the time. Love it or hate them, you're still listening. You're still listening to a whole show and you're counting it. It is a word I use. I wasn't aware I use it 10 times a day. So I was going to get a little bell for Captain K to ring the bell every time I say the word, starting with you, and we'll we'll keep a tally. But thank you. Nothing wrong with an ear check from the listener. Thank you, young person. I don't even know if it's a young man or a young woman, but young person. They've, they've drawn their own lines on the bit of paper that's been torn out of a magazine or something as well. It's fantastic. Anyway, coming up today. It's quite believable what we've got on the show today. We have got Sheree Kaka fresh off the win at the Vancouver Sevens yesterday in a stupendous performance, uh, beating Australia in the final and I do want to ask about the um, the game against Canada where they nearly got rolled in front of the home crowd and the home team. That was it was brilliant. Uh, we have our usual TAB update. What's making news? Draft day Tuesday today. Draft day Tuesday. Captain Case come up with a butte. What is it? Things that the things that annoy you the most on the road. There we so are. So while you're driving. There we are. Things that annoy you most while you're driving. That's our draft day Tuesday. Me, Captain K, and Niv. We'll come up with our top five. Um, Dame Nolene Taurua, coach of the Silver Ferns, wonderful coach of the Silver Ferns. I pre-recorded that this morning, and we've got a bit of a game. 
as well. So we have our normal netball chat, and then I've asked her five questions that Captain K and I have both given our answers to, and we'll see if any of us can get the same answers as Dame Knowles. Wonderful coach, wonderful, wonderful coach. We have a brand new vault today, $100 TRB bonus bet up for grabs, but you do get seven questions on day one, and Niv has put this into the vault today, so good luck with choosing that. And we are also catching up with Sam Lanner. He is a rugby strategy analyst, the likes of which I've never come across before. I stumbled across him on Twitter. He goes through in-depth with a whole lot of things in rugby, like where you should throw into the line-out, the effectiveness of rolling malls. I'm going to quiz him about box kicks. Um, Really, really interesting stuff. So um, you can follow him. Sam L stands up is his Twitter name. Fascinating insights of the analysis. Uh, we'll have a look back in the day and other bits and bobs as they come as they come up. I see Joe Smith's just thrown his name, well, potentially might throw his name in the coaching hat. So now we'll have Scott Robertson, Jamie Joseph, and Joe Smith. Incredible. Carolyn has sent in a text, and I quote, that's so cool, almost unbelievable. Take the learnings from this, staff. Laughing now as I hear you try and avoid saying it. Cheers, Carolyn. Uh, that feedback from the listener is unbelievable from Chris. And a text that says you say it more than 10 times a day. So this text might be the person that wrote the letter. No name texter. No name text, no name on the letter. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So amazing. Anyway, Midday Madness, I want to get your thoughts. If you could go back in time. And it could be as soon as yesterday you wanted to be in the stands and watch the Vancouver Sevens, or it could go back to 1936 and you want to be in the stands watching Jesse Owens win the 100 metres. What would you like to go back in time and witness live on the sideline, in the stand, in the auditorium, in the jungle? Where and what would you like to witness live? That's Midday Manus. Give us a yell, 0800 Listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Yeah! <laughs> One more from Cookie. Tell them to pee off and listen to Radio New Zealand, Staffy. It's unbelievable. I've probably said it five times, but they're from reading texts. <laughs> from reading texts. So give me, a, give me a sporting, your sporting memory that you only have seen on TV and you'd like to go and see life. Or maybe you went live and you'd like to do it all over again because it was incredible. Let's go to Mikey from Christchurch. G'day, Mikey. <laughs> I find that you say that 10 times, frankly, quite unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I was actually going to ring you well, and I, just, I thought, nah, better not. I was going to pull you up on something you said a week or so ago, which I thought was very bad grammar. Good. Um, but I thought... From all the texts you began, I thought, nah, I better not do that because it's just being silly. Um, <laughs> the, the sporting, oh, one day I'll tell you. The sporting event, um, <laughs> the sporting event for me, if I could go back in time, would be the 95 World Cup semi final versus England. Mm. To see John Olomu in his absolute pomp and prime, Zinzan Brooks drop kick. Um, oh, that would be unbelievable, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a new catchphrase for the show? Oh, unbelievable <laughs> afternoons with Steffi. Let's sing that one live. 
Oh, that would, be, that, one that would be brilliant to go and see that live, actually, because Pack Stadium as well, best player in the yeah. world, like the most famous player in the world doing his thing. Oh. Oh. Um, and, then I, and then after that game, I'd get on a plane and I'd go back to New Zealand because I don't want to watch that final ever again. <laughs> oh, the final, dear, oh dear. Yeah. Um, just, 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 just a quick one for your team pick Tuesday as well. Um, yes. Christchurch drivers. That's all I have to say about that. Oh, and you're so a Christchurch man. I know. I have to put up with this every day. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so Christchurch drivers, the worst, the worst thing on their own. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word they're, for they're, that. I'll tell you what, they've never met a red light that, that they like. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, okay, nice work. <laughs> I hear you. I, I, I'm okay, picking mate. up what you're putting down. Thanks, Mikey. Cheers, have a good buddy. show. Cheers, buddy. Uh, actually, someone texted, I think it was Craig, said that I said gambit instead of gamut. And I think you're right. In fact, I know you're right because I looked them both up and I've been using it wrong. So I will take the lesson. Happy to take the lesson. Happy to take feedback. Love it. Sporting piece. Sporting live. What would you like to go back and watch live? I love this. Ed, Tolaga Bay. Kia ora. Oh, that's an easy one, Seth. Yep. Well, I'll go back and watch the old man play for the East Coast. Mm. I'll go. I'll go watch him play the Prince of Wales Cup, and I'll go watch him play um, the Ranfurly Shield against Wellington in 1953. Oh, you're joking! Yeah, he played Ranfurly Shield, East Coast versus Wellington. Wellington was stacked with all the All Blacks. Oh, well, that's 1953 All Blacks. That's a wee while ago, mate. Oh man, one of the East Coast boys put that photo up on his um, Facebook and I seen it and I went, what? Man, but I had been drinking that day and so a little tear got into my eye. Yeah. What's the Prince of yeah, Wales man, Cup? That's the Mouldy Trials. Oh, okay. I got a, that's one of the photos, one of the oldest photos I've got of the old man. That would be special too. If I could transport oh. you back to watch your dad play, mate, I would do it. Boy, because that photo was a standoff second five centre. Play it all, eh? Run hard, kick the goals, score the try. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, man, back in the day. Back in the day. Good man. So, you know, so he was, yeah, I never, I never seen him play, so that would have been awesome. Yeah. But I think it runs in the family because um, the young boy hasn't seen me play. Oh, hasn't he? <laughs> You're going to have to make a comeback, no, mate. Oh, man, a lot of, actually, he did see me play, but that was in, um, what was it, the East Coast um, Legends game. Oh, yeah. Oh, I scored a try, man. There you are. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't at my peak, though. That would have been better. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Good man. Let's go. Let's go. Thanks, yeah, Ed. Bro. Cheers, boy. Uh, always good to hear from Ed. We go over to Melbourne. Always good to hear from Darren. G'day, Darren. Hey, Steffi. How are you? Good, Darren. Well, I'm turning back the clock a little bit here. I would have loved to have been at the uh, Wimbledon men's final, 1987, to see Pat Cash beat Ivan Lindor. Oh. That would have been magic. Pat Cash at the top of his game was brilliant, wasn't he? Oh, he was so good. But Lindell needed to win that to to win the career Grand Slam. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So close. So close. Lindell, uh, he had the majestic backhand, didn't he? The backhand passing shot down the line. Oh, yeah. But I always just remember him for having sawdust in his pocket and uh, the ball boy having a dustpan and brush and cleaning it up after every point. So, yeah. 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 Nice. So, um, 
Oh. I just remember his tennis, not the sawdust. But yeah, that would be it for me. That, I, I just remember watching it. It was just mind-blowing at some stupid hour in the morning. Yeah, it was similar. Oh. Like I watched um, when Chris Lewis played Kevin Curran. And then I think, I always remember the Kevin Curran match. And I think he played McEnroe in the final of Wimbledon. Um, he did. And straight sets, I think he got beat. But the Kevin Curran match was incredible. Yeah, that would have been good. I mean, that's the trouble. He played his final to get to the final. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Good memories. Thanks, Duffy. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, keen to hear what everyone would have liked to have seen live and actually be there and soak in the atmosphere. Uh, the life member, Zaid. G'day, Zaid. Good afternoon. What do you got, Zaid? I, w- I would have liked to have seen... <clears throat> I think uh, uh, Niv and Karen would know. I think it was about 2012, 2013. Chelsea versus Bayern Munich. Um, Champions League final, and that was when uh, Peter Cech, Peter Cech's save was on um, in the penalty shootout, and uh, yeah, it was when uh, Didier Drogba uh, scored the winning penalty. It was just a great game. That's when I um, first ever Chelsea game I watched, and ever since then I've uh, supported them. So yeah, that that was probably um, I would have loved to have been there and watched that game. Was that the, was that um, the game that Drogba got the amazing header? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I wish yeah, I could send game. you there, Zade. I wish I could send you there. Um, a cool UFC fight would have been would have been uh, the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, Jeez, you cool. know your history yeah. as well, mate. See that rivalry would have been pretty cool. Um, I know it would have been real cool, but obviously wasn't alive. Uh, UFC one when it was like I mean the old school UFC when it was like <laughs> jujitsu versus like uh, kickboxing, and they had all the different martial arts and that put them up against each other. Yeah, and the karate guys came out in their karate uniforms and stuff. Yeah, that would have been cool. as to see. Yeah, God. What, what number UFC. UFC are we up to now? Two, what are we up 266. to? 266. They said 265. 260. Yeah. God. And then in between all of those, there's been all of the fight nights as well. There's something every weekend, yeah. which is perfect for a fan like you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, and, say. Oh, one other thing. Uh, Blues versus Crusaders. I'm in the Blues last final in 2003, but I wasn't alive for that. Just missed that on that as well. Oh. So, yeah. Mate, what would I like to say, Matt? Soon, soon people will be wanting to be transported back to 2023 Blues Crusaders final at Eden Park, you reckon? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Good man, Zane. You enjoy your day. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Give us your sporting events you'd like to be transported back to and watch live, in person, in the flesh. The atmosphere. There's been some amazing atmospheres. There's there's one football game, and Captain K or Niv will be able to help me with this, and I'm probably going to get the teams wrong, but there was something like three goals in the last four minutes in a Champions League, and it was either Man U or Arsenal, and they had to get... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, United Bayern Munich. Yes. And he came off the bench, scored two goals... United run away with the winner. Yeah, that was a terrible moment, Steffi. Nobody <laughs> likes that moment. <laughs> Being a Liverpool fan. <laughs> yes. All right. Give us a yell. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. We'll take a break and we'll come back with your calls. Welcome back in. We're asking you to give us a yell on oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Your favourite sporting moment that you weren't at, but you'd like to have been at live experience. Scott Taranaki. G'day, Scott. G'day, Steffi. Let's go back to Salt Lake City, nineteen ninety eight, game six. Let's go back to the final shot. <laughs> Bulls beat the Jazz. 
Oh. That game, that moment, that crowd without cell phones. Oh, yes, when you actually had to watch it with your eyes and not on the screen on your phone. That's right. And then talk about it later to your friends instead of showing them on a phone. Yes, that's... Yep. <laughs> that is Sitting a... there with a beer and actually having a conversation. Yeah. Imagine that. Oh, I love um, that. That's, that's my moment. That would be uh, that would be something to behold, I think. I, I, to be honest, every single um, Chicago Bulls um, winning championship finals would be pretty awesome to go to. But that one there, for the significance of it, would be pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I do too. That'd be yeah. The Michael Jordan era would be incredible to be. Um, imagine being a Bulls fan living in Chicago, where Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Co were doing their thing. Wow, what a ride! That's life, isn't it? That is that is you've clocked life. <laughs> you've clocked life. <laughs> you bang on e- everything else. Yeah, you know, birth a child. You know, don't matter. Yeah, Bulls. <laughs> they're in town. Can you imagine that? How much tickets would be to go to those games every single week? Gosh, oh. I, I don't, I'd love, I'd live poor. I'd, I'd live in my car oh, just to go. A lot of them do you in know? Chicago. Yeah, you'd have to be friends of a friend to get tickets to those things. It'd be, it'd be amazing. Oh man, I bet you there are some fans in Chicago eh, that just have programs and programs and programs. You just go to their house and it'd just be listed in memorabilia and you'd. You'd spend hours upon hours just going through it all and feeling like you're 16 again. Mm. It'd just be great. Yeah, nice, mm, lovely nice work. Good on you, Scott. Enjoy that. All right, thanks, mate. Cheers, Bye. buddy. Let's go down to Dunedin. Dino, this will be an interesting one, Dino. Yeah, mate, I was having a, a male look. Listen, to be brutally honest, I thought it was favourite moment you're at. So, you know, luckily I heard that and I wasn't on beforehand because I would have been a bit stuffed. But honestly, I would have loved to have been in South Africa in 96. Mm. When Fitzy is punching the ground, because that, that that just broke all new boundaries for us for the All Blacks. You know, South Africa at home was impossible, but you know all sorts of reasons. But once you you know break that egg and you're away, there was no holding us back after that. And that's what scares me with Ireland now. You know, they've done the same thing, and mm. and they're doing getting exactly the same results. And good on them for that. You know, they worked hard. They got the, the chocolates and. Put on them, but I would have loved to have been in South Africa in '96. Yeah, and it's that it's moments, some moments like that you don't realise what a watershed moment it is until you step away and you have a bit of time and you look back. Um, maybe not that one so much because it was a first, wasn't it? But it's it really oh. stamps itself as an important part of New Zealand rugby history. That series. Oh, t- well, it just it, it gave us the belief, and as much as South Africa had never admitted, but it gave them a little bit of doubt. And that's why I say, that's why I reiterate with the Ireland now, you know, like, I've never really, well, I haven't watched Five Nations and now Six Nations for years, but I've thoroughly enjoyed the games that I've watched. And I'm looking forward to, on the 11th, I think it is, or 12th, Scotland, Ireland and Murrayfield. That'll be a real ding-dong battle. And they're both playing good, good rugby. And that's the most important thing. Out of it all, as much as we, I hate seeing this, what's going on with you all, it just really pisses me off, but you know, it is part of life. But it was to watch the other nations now going really well. This World Cup, man, if I won lotto, I'd be there because it's, it's exactly that. It's a lotto World Cup. It's just who wants it the most. They all want it, but you know what I mean by that. Yeah. Some want it that wee bit more and are prepared to dig that a little bit deeper and go to those dark places that they all talk about. And, geez, it's be a hell of a tournament. Yeah. 
Magic. Magic call, Dean. Always good to chat, buddy. Thank you. All good. Let's go. Oh. He's in Auckland. Yeah, I know he's in Auckland. Um, Graham, I wonder if he got to Wahlburgers. I wonder if he got there. Graham from, uh, well, don't know. Where are you, Graham? Wairarapa. <laughs> oh, you are. I was going to say Wairarapa. And I was thinking, where is he yeah, on yeah. Tuesdays? Yeah, okay, Wairarapa. Wairarapa, yeah. mate. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, two weeks ago, tomorrow, COVID got me for the first time, the bastard. But, oh. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, first time, bugger it. But, um... Yeah, we're all good. We've, um, we've survived that. Um, hey, MVG Bully Boy. Come on, the double nine, nine data. That <laughs> must have been, if you're in the front row of that, that must have been euphoric. What a great shout. That, how quickly I'd forgotten about that. Thank you for reminding That would oh, be yeah. epic. Like, darts crowds are good on their own, but a double nine data, yes, boy. Oh, absolutely. The MVG was just like, oh, and then the bloody boy gets it. I'm just like, it must have been amazing, me in the crowd of there. Far out. Yeah, incredible. Oh, yeah, nice, nice what recollection. Well worth calling. Yep. Did you go to the Golden what? Shears? Oh, no, you had COVID. No, yeah, no, well, I could have. I was out, I was out by then, but um, but uh, the missus got it two days after me, so I set out her time with, uh, with her as well, so... So, yeah, no, didn't get to go and cheese, mate, but um, Kieran, Kieran McIlwain, I don't know what he would have been there. I'm sure he would have. Yeah, yes, mate. absolutely. I, well, I wonder if he still MCs it. Um, he encouraged me to go one year, and I went the following three. It's such a good such a good event, the Golden Shears of Masterton. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I still catch up with Kieran um, quite a bit. So uh, we went to his... Uh, the night of the election, it was just unbelievable. A few TAB boys came over too, mate, in support, which is awesome. Nice, nice, awesome. Yeah. Good man, Graham. Hey, mate. Enjoy your day. See you, boy. Um, Mark says Rumble in the Jungle. Ali Foreman. I would love to have been to an Ali fight. Probably that one. Or Thriller in Manila. Oh, it's probably a bit hot there. Ali, Bombay. Guys, can I go into the future and be in the stands when the Warriors win the NRL? It's our year. Yes, you can. For Midday Manish, you can do whatever you like. And here's a beaut. Here's an absolute beaut from the old mate Hawks. Real name, Jeff. 1983, Melbourne Cup, Kiwi, from a long way back. Come from last to first and a phenomenal performance. Kiwi! The pride of New Zealand, Snowy Lupton, Waverley. There you go. Good to hear from your hooks. Got your number now. I'm going to text you. Um, we'll take a break for new sport and weather. Had some good trips down memory lane. The sporting event you would have loved to have been present at. And soak in the atmosphere. And watch the watch the win, watch the watch the battle unfold in front of your own eyes, and just nothing beats live sport actually being there. Someone texted through before the Wellington Sevens back in the day. Incredible! I went to 10, 11, 12 in a row before it shifted. Um, the first five or six were brilliant and it started to wane a little bit and everyone sees the fun police and I sort of by and large agree with that. But yeah, the sevens live was amazing. Amazing. We'll take break for new sport and weather. We'll come back. Give us a yell though. 0800 150 811. Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockin'est beat of madness. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Share your live event 
well, an event you'd wish you were at live. Recent past, long time past. I don't really mind. Um, Dermot. Liverpool AC Milan Champion League Final 2005. I'm picking Liverpool one. That night in Istanbul. <laughs> 3 0 down at half time. Liverpool come back, win the Champions League that night. 4 3. night. Nah, it went to penalties. Oh, did it? Stevie G slapped one. Stevie slapped G. One away. He was, a, he was a one club man, wasn't he? Yes. Oh no, no, he wasn't. So he, but he pretty much was. And then he went over to LA Galaxy. All oh, right. Um, towards the end of his career, but yeah, strictly a Liverpool in man. the Premier League. Yes. About the letter, staff. I'm guessing it wouldn't be a young person. A bit of effort to focus on something like that. Possibly not of sound mind. Well, maybe, but I thought I'd read it. They took the they took the time to write me a letter, so why not? I'd love to see World Cup soccer game and Maradona and the hand of God from Shannon, uh, Ray Sefo and Mark Hunt brutal K one fight. Oh, and Kiwis versus Australia winning the World Cup World Rugby League Cup. Yes, good shout that one. Uh, you're welcome to text them through double eight double three Tampa Bay Post text machine or. 0800-150-811, which is the number Scott's called. G'day, Scott. Hey, Steph. How you going? Good, Scott. Um, I've got three. Uh, I've got three that I would like to be met. Um, and uh, I've got to tuck this one in first, just just to uh, bring uh, Captain K and, and Niv down a little bit. But um, <laughs> Phil Jackie scoring right at the end at um, Anfield a couple of years ago to make it one all with a stunner of a goal right in front of the cop. Uh, it just would have been beautiful to have been there. I wish you could um, see their faces now, just quietly. <laughs> it's just, just been too, too, too much Liverpool talk in the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do, I've got to admit, their, their prank to Ricardo if they went through was. was yeah, someone, <laughs> someone actually, before you leave that, someone asked me. Um, what happened? So, uh, Niv, could you please explain what you did on the back of seven nil? Oh, I just uh, I just texted him yesterday before he came into work, and I said, "Hey, Ricardo, I've left something in the fridge for you. Just a little drink. Uh, just offering him an olive branch, you know, so he can uh, ease the pain and just you know calm down a little bit. Because it was a pretty stressful day for him. But he uh, opens up the fridge, and what's the drink in there, Captain K? It's a Seven Up. <laughs> <laughs> And he thought he was going to get a beer to help him uh, soak away his woes. But no, the 7-Up, it worked a treat. Yes, it was It was brilliant by the boys. What's your other two, Scott? It was, it's definitely, even as an Evertonian, I've got to say that that was actually quite funny. Um, um, the other two would be probably one that quite a few people got to go, but um, the uh, semi-final Eden Park with the um, cricket in 2015 with um, Grant Elliott hitting the six at the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, just just to be there at that moment would have been pretty awesome. Um, and then the other one would have been back in uh, 2002, uh, the um, preliminary final with the Warriors and the Sharks, where the Warriors beat the Sharks over in Sydney. Um, so obviously booked the place into the final. Um, obviously, unfortunately, the final didn't go away, but to um, you know to, to to get there in the first place, but um, yeah, to beat the Sharks. In that semi- and it just died died away just after he said that. Oh no, we got your back, Scott. Yes, uh, Warriors Sharks. What chance of Warriors this year, Scott? Um, well, I think they'll improve. I mean, I'd love 
obviously decided they'll go through and win it or, or top four. But I, I think, you know, after the weekend, um, you know, if we can play like that, um, you know, it's it's not going to be a bad season. I think if we can, I mean, I'd love to get in the, the playoffs, but if we can get around into the top ten, I think that would be a, it would be a good step. And, and then obviously look for a top eight next year and, and obviously improve and then um, hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, maybe go even better. Yeah, I feel like the Warriors fan base have almost through necessity developed a little bit of patience and are prepared to not make the eight as long as they fight week in and week out. Yep, yep, I, I fully agree with that. I think the, the problem is, you know, over the last few years, the, I don't think there's been really a plan in place and it's kind of just been let's hope we can make the final and the finals and, um, you know, there's been no real recruitment um, recruitment structure or anything, um, you know, for the right positions and everything. But I think, you know, you're just starting to see a, a few boxes being ticked this season, which is good. And I think, you know, starting with the defence, if, if, you, you know, if you don't concede, you're generally going to win. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think there'll be positive steps this year. And the next two games are going to be pretty tough, especially um, against the Wounded Roosters and then obviously up to Townsville as well is, is going to be tough. Um, but, you know, after that, we, we've got a few wonderful games here and, um, you know, being back at Mount Smart will obviously help as well. Bang on. Good man, Scott. Wish you a good season with the Warriors and uh, enjoy talking to you. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Jack. Have a good afternoon. Cheers, buddy. You too. Uh, Graham Marlborough, formerly Northland. Welcome in, Graham. G'day, Steph, mate. I've got two or three quickies, if you don't mind. Um, I would have loved to have been in Auckland last year for the Super Final. Mm. That would have been pure magic watching the Crusaders dismantle uh, the beloved Blues team of some certain quarters in Texas. Uh, and that would have got me ready for this year. Um, <laughs> uh, this one hasn't happened yet, but I hope it does. Is that, and that's one day my beloved Scotland beating the All Blacks. And I'd love to be there in Murrayfield with my cousins. Just, um, I'm a staunch All Black supporter but that just would just to sit there with my family and watch that would that'd be the way they're playing at the moment I don't think it's too far away and yeah it'll just be un, uh, yeah, their environment would be unreal so that'd be something I'd like to happen but um, who knows mm. uh, and the other one the last one is um, my brother's home from France uh, sadly my, our mother's taken a bit of a turn for the worst and um, he, he reminded me um uh, when I was about 10 or 11 I played in a game of rugby my mum never used to come and watch me play she's always scared I was going to get hurt I was a skinny little white guy from up north and um, she came and watched me play I played I play for Mortawa which is a little freezing works town up there and um, she came and watched we, the two schools had a comp, had a, a yearly rugby game and she came and watched with, with the dad and you know the whole place went nuts I managed to get a runaway try, and I remember looking back and seeing my mum running on the field, waving her arms about, <laughs> my dad waving his arms about, trying to drag her off the bloody, get her off the field, you know. And I just remember, I remember that vividly in my mind. Sadly, Dad's not with us anymore. My brother was talking about it to me last night. He said, "Oh, that was just, a, it was like it was a cool event in, in my life." Because she came and watched, and um, yeah. So if I could do that again, that would, uh, we'll go back to that moment. Um, that that'd be quite nice because I don't think we've got too many moments left for there, unfortunately. But yeah, those are my sort of three. Oh, and go back to the old mighty Tony Far. They beat this team 
think it was one or two. I think that's a dodgy it line, Ken. I, I, I think that I think that's a dodgy line. I think I, I just I was actually there, and I think I think a guy sort of like ten rows around from me, staff. He was there too. He was crying, but I was jumping around. I'd love to get. Oh, it did again, go. Oh. With those two teams, with those two teams, and and would shake and shake hands and hug staff, and I'd buy you a beer and a pie, mate. Absolutely. You have a good day, Stephen. Cheers for that, brother. Cheers, boy. <laughs> oh, Graham brought a tear to my eye. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Joey. We'll come back with Bruce. And if you want to join in, 0800-150-811. Oh, we love a corrector. Someone's texted in and said it's not Jesse Owens, it's Jesse Owen. No S, Steph. In this case, I was right. It is Jesse Owens. Lo- oh, jeepers, ding. It is Jesse Owens. I, you made me double check, but thanks for making me double check, but I'm happy with Owens. Uh, let's go to Joey in Auckland. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Um, oh, the, the, some things that, that players and footballers do, you know, Carlos Spencer uh, against Canterbury, you know, a lovely <laughs> mate's down in uh, Christchurch, but what he did uh, that day, that would have been just, an absolute gem being an Aucklander, obviously. We saw it on telly. But also then to kick the conversion, you know, I mean, <laughs> that was rubbing it in. And the other one too, Staff, was the joy being an Aucklander. It was it was sad, but the joy after stopping intercept. Oh. And Mike Mills coming across, trying to get him. He couldn't get him. But the joy of the Waikato supporters was just, you know, to be, it was just unbelievable. You know, I mean, that's just fantastic as well. And the last one is uh, racing. Um, Kiwi winning the uh, Melbourne Cup Jimmy Cassidy on Kiwi Coming from where they came from And you know Snowy Lupton uh, God bless him because he's passed away now But just a, just an average bloke Not not a big trainer um, Just unbelievable You know and of course the name Kiwi I mean in folklore forever You know just fantastic man Yeah that, that was a brilliant day I watched that in the Newman's bus depot in Wellington uh, Kiwi and I had a bet on Mr Jazz uh, so I didn't win the money, but I'll always remember that race day. Yeah, well, exactly, you know, and, and also, too, you know, Andrew Merton's in South Africa. <laughs> that was a bit, <laughs> that was a classic. They must have really upset him for him to do that because you see Mertz on television now, you know, as a commentator over there. I mean, he's jovial and, and just uh, a, lo- a lovely bloke. I mean, you know, stuff like that. I mean, uh, they do, do great things, doesn't they? And sport, sport brings out sometimes the best uh, characters in, uh, in a lot of people, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And Mertz absolutely is one of the best, one of the best blokes you'll meet from rugby. Uh, good shout, Joey. Thanks, bud. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. We'll go to Bruce in Christchurch. G'day, Bruce. <coughs> G'day, Mark. Um, great, great topic, mate. Hey, look, two very quick, bizarre ones. One, uh, I thought it was the, um, the Springbok test at Eden Park, the flower bomb, Gary Knight test. Mm-hmm. To just to just here go through that again, the the amazing, the bizarre moments that happened during that match, because you sort of forget a lot of them. But that that would be one to recap. Another one that I was at, but I still haven't seen the game was the bloody fog semi final in um, against Wellington at Gate Stadium. Yeah, I was at that game too. I was at that game, oh. and I was lucky enough to be down on the sideline, so I could probably see it a lot better than the people in the stand. And I actually suggested they sent... Um, I actually offered to go around <laughs> to the far side and commentate from the far side. Uh, but Tony yep. Johnson ended up going to the one side and Grant Nisbet on the close side to try and That's do their right. best to call it. Yeah, well, me, my son and I were 
two-thirds of the way up the bloody um, big stand. Uh, just Occasionally you'd see a ball and a player, but <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would be good to actually see that again. <laughs> yeah, without the fog. Yeah. Now, the one for really warm-hearted Kiwi um, pride was in Athens, I think, the triathlon. Hamish Carter and the other guy, our other boy, who came first and second. Bevan Doherty, yep. Bevan Doherty. Outstanding memories, that. That is. They went toe for toe, just two great athletes, and we got over the line in first and second, and that that just came flooding back, that memory. Good man. Good call, Bruce. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. Good on you, mate. Cheers, mate. Um, let's get through some of these ticks. Uh, Staffy for me would be one of Tiger's Masters wins. Carl, yeah, well, that'd be two ticks, wouldn't it? Watching um, the best golfer at the best tournament. Uh, I agree with going to the 95 World Cup. I also want to go back to the Wellington Sevens in the 2000s before the Fun Police ruined it. Um, also, the first WrestleMania. You can have that. I won't go with you to that one, but you're entitled to that one. <laughs> I agree with Mikey in Christchurch. Uh, Christchurch drivers are the worst in the country and I'm a truck driver hesitation is the worst thing that's from Mark Uh, 2008 Indy 500 seeing Scott Dixon win would have been amazing Dixon or McLaughlin for the win this year Mark from Lower Hutt the other one I will quickly we've got a very time for a quick one more call Simon Hamilton a long time uh, for a couple of weeks but the quick uh, the one Sarah Alma breaking the world record in the Olympic final. Yes. Her getting off the bike and just gasping and gasping for it seemed like a minute just to even catch up with her breath. That that was uh, that was fine thing. I watched a replay of it a couple of weeks ago actually. That was amazing. That's a great shout, and it's funny, you know, like an amazing event, amazing race, but the endearing memory for me was her heaving for oxygen at the end of the race. Above all of the noise and the din of the of the uh, velodrome, you could hear her gasping. And, uh, same, yeah, that's what I say. I watched it a couple of weeks ago on a replay, popped up somewhere, and, and the Aussie girl that she beat, she absolutely smoked her because she came from behind. She was a good one and a half seconds down at the halfway stage. So, yeah, impressive. Back she came. Good shout, Simon. Thank you, buddy. Uh, We'll take our last break, get some more text messages away before the news. Uh, Righto, some good text messages come through. Staffy, into the future in a few weeks uh, when Joe Smith gets named All Blacks coach. Unbelievable, says Ken. (laughs) 2015 World Cup semi-final, Eden Park. Five to win off two balls. Enter Grant Elliott. Bang! Superman. Brad. Yes, boy. The Golden Hour of Athletics. Peter Snell and Tamari Helberg, Rome, 1960. I've read accounts of Snell being so muscular that he was tearing up the cinder track and Helberg's front running, hanging on to win gold. Unbelievable. Cheers, Carolyn. (laughs) Staffy, my historic event I would love to have witnessed was the chariot racing at the Circus Maximus Arena in Rome in 122 AD. I can only but imagine the entertaining carnage. Capacity crowd was around 200,000. The best driver of the era was Gaius Diocles, who won over 1,400 races. His earnings converted into today's currency, $17 million. Carlos! If there was a prize for the fact of the day, you're it, champion. That is good knowledge. Fantastic knowledge.
Take a break for new sport and weather. Of course, that is with our great mate, Johnny McNeil. And coming up soon, Sheree Kaka from the Blackburn Sevens. Kicking it off today, Sacrifice. If you remember, Steph, it's the uh, the weekend Tuesday. So exclusively weekend songs. So I thought we'd oh, kick it weekend. off. Oh, weekend, that's right. A little bit poppy. Here the we go, week- Steph. It's coming up now. Oh, okay. Your favourite band? <laughs> favorite, He's an artist, solo yeah, artist. Sorry, your favourite <laughs> artist. The weekend, the weekend sounds like it should be a band, not a person. Well, it's like, yeah, Tame Impala, isn't it? It's one guy, but yeah. you always think it's a band. Mm. Yeah, great. Yeah. The weekend on a weekday, how naughty. Tummy. A <laughs> uh, couple more have come in. Uh, hi, Stabby, 2015 Rugby World Cup final. The 2005 US Open Michael Campbell win. And WrestleMania 30. Now, I don't know what the significance of that is, but I must have been a, a barnstormer, Jeremy. Um, Ken said, Graham, I heard that comment. Uh, for another one from Graham Staff Joey made me think If Carlos hadn't done what he did Would the Blues have won another title Is it the curse of Carlos Or are they just not good enough to win I think Carlos When he went to the corner He needed the conversion To deny the Crusaders a bonus point I think And he got it I'm not 100% sure on that 1999 Champions League final My Man United winning late Versus Bayern Munich To win the treble when was Liverpool's last treble? Oh, wait. They never have. Incorrect. Brad. Uh, oh. Manchester United actually following in a trend, I believe. Niv, do you want to fill us in here? The first ever English treble. was actually won by Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool won the league. They won the League Cup, beating Everton 1-0 in the final. And they beat Rome 4-2 on penalties in their own backyard in 1984. Oh, look at them celebrating the hot box. Yeah. Uh, Staffy, I would have liked to go on to the League World Cup final in 2008 just to see all the Australians who thought they would win and the Kiwis won with Wayne Bennett from George that would have been fantastic 2019 Cricket World Cup final I would invade the pitch with a sign saying it's only five runs <laughs> Staffy, I'd give anything to watch Brazil and Pele at the 1970 World Cup that is a great shout um the underarm and the Snedden catch game at the G would have been amazing as a Kiwi to be at, Greeny. I suppose we could always ask Smithy. I don't want to ask Smithy about those. I did it once and promised I'd never do it again. Um, there was another one down here somewhere. Bodyline series from Brennan. That's the one he wanted. Um, 2002 FIFA World Cup and watch the Brazil team in action good shout Pac-Man says Dick Taylor winning his gold medal 10,000 metres 74 what a buzz that would have been seeing him live running that last lap who are the Brits Um, 
David Bedford, uh, David Black, and Kip Kaino. How am I going? Ooh, something like that. But dictated 10,000 QE2 Park. Hey, Staffy, amazing game to be back in the day for atmosphere. Would have been the next game back after the Man U plane crash. Would have been sad, but amazing. Also, when Buller had a 9-all draw and the Ramfurly Shield scoring more tries but didn't get the chocolates way back in the day. I never knew they'd done that, Buller Joe. And Aussie, good to hear from you. Staffy, for me, it was Hawks Bay beating the British Lion, British and Irish Lions 29-17 and McLean Park 9-93. Go the Mighty Magpies. Up the Vikings. Marshy, up the Vikings. Christian Cullen, Jared Cunningham. What a team. What a team. All right, they're coming off the win, Blackfern Sevens. And joining us now from the Blackfern Sevens is Sheree Karka. Um, and Sheree, 24 hours on, what is the reaction to winning again? Oh, do you know what? All I can actually think of is my neck is a little bit sore. If anyone watched the game, I actually got absolutely smashed and I woke up and that was the feeling that I had this morning. I was, that was one of my questions. You got folded. You actually made um, <laughs> smashed him, bro, on Crowd Goes Wild last night. <laughs> Did I? Do you know what, though? I placed the ball well and we scored off that big hit, so at least my sacrifice was not for nothing. Yeah, I actually think that's a tactic now for, you, for your teammates <laughs> to set you up to get smashed because you've got a 100% uh, strike rate for a try after being smashed, Ray. If, if I get smashed every, uh, every game and we win every tournament, I am happy to be that person. <laughs> I'm not sure how long I'd last in the game, but I'm happy to do it. I might act, act, uh, ask my coaches to put some more money in my contract, though, if that's going to be the case. Yes, yeah, be the big bull. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, though, because <laughs> you, you've had issues with injuries, 2016 shoulder, 2017 and 18 ACL. It must be so good to be able to play now injury-free, and being a big component of this team. Yeah, it really is. Like, so it's taken me nine years to be a kind of uh, player that's constantly making the team. So it's been a long journey. So to see us constantly achieving and enjoying ourselves on and off the field, it's, it just makes all of those injuries and stuff worth it. Yeah, I wanted to bring up in, in the nicest possible way, it's taken you a bit of time to force your way into first selection, but you've gutsed it out and you've trained and trained and you've tried and tried and now you've made it into that core group. Um, do you do you reflect on that 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 hard road that you've had to take to get to where you are now? I actually forget to do it sometimes. But it wasn't until my friend yesterday, um, I haven't seen her in years, in like six years or so. She was like, I remember six years ago, you were, you were ready to give up. And then four years ago, you were ready to give up again. And now I'm here in the team, traveling the world every three or so weeks um, and getting paid to do things I love. So I'm really glad I stuck with it. But I, I do need to um, take a look back sometimes and just reflect and be grateful for what I've done. I'm pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's kind, of, it's kind of cool watching you guys and it feels like you've all got sort of unofficial slash official roles on the field like when I see you you're a bit of a ghost runner and you're always like if I'm second guessing what you're going to do is she going to step is she going to go is she going to pass and then you've got people like Georgia Miller who's just such a breath of fresh air S similar type things that 
you can't anticipate what Sheree Kaka is going to do. Yeah, it's quite nice being in a team that just allows you to constantly be yourself on and off the field. So, like, that's one of our main things that our management and our coaches always try to put into us is just be yourself, constantly be yourself. Um, and so that helps us on the field because, yes, Georgia is a breath of fresh air off the field as well, like just a young ball of energy um, and just so cool to be around. So that definitely translates onto the field as well. And then me not knowing what you got, what I'm going to do on the field, I didn't even know what I'm going to do off the field either. Sometimes my husband's surprised with all my moves, so I suppose that's what goes onto the field too. <laughs> are, are some of the older members in the team looking over their shoulder? Because, you know, I'm watching Rissy, I'm watching Georgia, I'm watching Jazzy, and they, they are world-class already. Yeah, no, but that's the environment that, they've created, the leaders have created, they're constantly wanting the younger ones to grow. I'm so sad I can't even add myself into the younger ones anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But they're constantly just allowing those girls to come through and shine and helping. So um, that's just the environment that we've built. So definitely not looking over their shoulder. They're looking forward with the young girls in mind as well. It was an incredible final yesterday against a a very well-worn foe. But I want to go a game, a couple of games before that, the Canada game. I thought there was a massive upset on the cards. Could you quite believe the the game they brought to you was incredible? I am so glad they had that game because they put on a show for their country. Like, we knew they were going to come out, but they came out firing. And, like, the crowd here was just so happy that, they got to have a good game, and so were we, because um, that's what rugby's all about. It's about, you know, you don't know who's going to win. It's, it's um, you know, small as, what is it called, points and everything. You don't know who's going to win. So I'm just so glad we, we could do that for them. Probably should have, um, like, you know, put a few more points on, but they didn't it's let okay. You. They didn't let you. They, they were they didn't. well up for it. And, and the amazing thing about sevens is it's basically the same squads week in and week out. And, and we see huge mm. ebbs and flows of performance. I mean, we saw it from the USA and the men's side of the draw got pumped by 50 twice by the New Zealand men's team. Uh, but then they could turn around at yeah. the next tournament and beat them. It, it's just crazy. So what's the key for continuity of performance for the Blackfern Seven Sisters? We're just going back on that. Yes, the last time we played the Canada women, I think we beat them like 40-something to seven. And then they come back and almost beat us this tournament. So it's freaking crazy. Um, But they continue, oh, gosh, I'm not sure. This is the first year for women where, like, usually we have six weeks in between tournaments. um, But now it's only been three maximum or four. So... I think just constantly having to be on your game with a shorter amount of um, weeks in between tournaments is it's kind of helped because you just have to constantly be on, on the game. There's not six weeks to try and get better. It's three weeks. So, yeah, that's helped heaps for us. Can you let us into the dressing room a little bit between games, those, those sort of three hours between <laughs> games? What – what is planning? Is it is it recovery? Is it massage? Is it chats? Is it music? What what goes on between games in a tournament environment? It's a bit of everything. We're actually really lucky. We've got a um, a trainer that understands us really well, so she actually writes out a plan for us, and then we just go and individualise that to whatever we think we need as athletes ourselves. Um, so some people might need a nap. 
Some people might need to do extra um, analysis. Some people might need music right really early. So it's kind of just whatever you're feeling in the moment you do. But there's always, always music within that hour before we're playing. Yeah, and a little bit of cringy dance moves as well, but <laughs> you have to have those. It's good heat, good vibes. <laughs> and when you get to the end of a tournament and the final, like the adrenaline's flying, you've won another tournament. The thing I love about you guys is, even though the world expectation is you'll win, when you do win, you are so euphoric that you've won, and you don't take winning for granted. No, well, see, I I don't know what it is, but. Just because sevens is such an exciting, fast game, you can't not be elated about winning. <laughs> and I think just we're constantly having fun as well. So when you're having fun with your team and you look to your left and right and there's your sisters there, you just can't help but be happy. It's amazing. Can, can I ask you about your skipper, Sarah Hidani? She's been on the show a lot, has Gossie, and, and I've known her for a long time. She was scoring long-range tries. What's got into her? Yeah. Oh, I have absolutely no idea, but whatever it is, I want to keep her going. <laughs> no, but she's, she's somebody who can just, oh, she's just amazing, an amazing leader, um, inspirational, and just, she just has it in her. There's no teaching what she has, um, and it's special, and we're so grateful to have her in our team. We're very lucky to have her in our team. And the other thing, while she is the captain, I do get the sense that it's a very empowering uh, team to be in and you're all leaders in your, in your own way. Even even the newest star, Georgia Miller, I've got her destined to be a leader for a, for a long time and she's such a young woman, but mm-hmm. she's got great composure and, and she's not afraid to stick her hand up out on the field as a leader as well. Is that something that's concentrated on within your squad? No, again, I think it's just a natural thing when your coaches are allowing you to be yourself. Again, that you just naturally lead in that way. And Georgia's just one of those special people too. She gets along with everyone in the team. Um, yeah, so it's just easy to kind of lead when you're al- being allowed to lead, if that makes sense. Mm. What happens after a victory? Mm. Do, do, do you mix with the other teams and, and some of the tournaments, these men's and women's teams there? Is there is there a big tournament function? T- tell us about how you celebrate a win. Yeah, well, so we are um, linking up with the men for most tournaments now. I think next year it'll be all tournaments. Um, and there's always an after party. But here in Vancouver, they have toffee apple stores which is just like an apple with caramel on the outside and chocolate. And so that was mine and Michaela Blythe's after-match you know, party thing. We were like, never mind the beers. Let's get to the toffee apple store. So that's how we celebrate it. And then, um, yeah. That, that's just too wholesome to believe, Sheree. <laughs> Yeah, well, we finished the tour- we finished the tournament and the toffee apple shop closed at eight, so we we had like five minutes to run to the store, and that's what we did. Amazing. So, how much longer are you in Canada, and where to next? So it's two p.m. here. Our flight is in, until like eleven p.m. tonight, so we've got a, a bit of time, um, and that will probably be spent at the toffee apple store again. <laughs> um, and then we have Hong Kong coming up which will be really exciting. This is the first time that the women are playing there, and I've heard it's an amazing tournament, so we're all really excited to get to that one. So you come home first for a couple of weeks before you go Hong Kong? 
Yeah, come home first, and apparently my husband's building a pergola, so that should be done when I get home. I hope he's listening to this. This is his little hurry up to get it done if he hasn't. Um, and then a few weeks home, Hong Kong, and then Toulouse after that as well. That's our last two tournaments. Right, so the big mis- message is here, Gillies, finish the pergola, get some toffee <laughs> apples ready under the pergola and fan her if it's too hot because she's just won in Vancouver. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Uh, and also pick up the vacuum sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, preferably before I get home. <laughs> yeah, put the toilet seat down, man. Come on. Yeah, oh, that one too. That one too. <laughs> hey, Sheree, um, do pass on our massive congratulations. I tweeted out yesterday that I never get tired of watching you girls. You just encompass what an amazing team is on the field and off the field. And you let us in and you let us chat to you. And I really do appreciate it. So uh, safe travels home, and we'll catch up again. Thank you so much for having me on. Feels like the weekend already, Captain K. Creeping up, isn't it? I'm so, looking deep in your eyes for this one. So all the tunes today are from... The Weekend. The artist called The Weekend. Yes, Abel himself is his real name. What's his real name? Abel. What's his surname? Tasman? Tess Fayed. Oh. From Thank You DJ Niv. Tess Fayed. Yes. Where's The Weekend Abel Tess Fayed from? Well, he, uh, he was residing in Toronto, Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, before he left for the United States. There's actually a song on here called Sidewalks, which explains his journey from being, he left home, was homeless in Toronto, and then he moved over to the States and started his music career, and it took off, and he's never looked back. Oof. Happy days. Um, how was the chat with Sheree Kaka? Honestly, like- that almost brought a tear to my eye, <laughs> in the way that she was just, she was so happy to, to have won yet again, but it the way that you were right, like the way that they celebrate after they win their hundredth millionth seventh tournament, of the, they first thought we've got five minutes until the top until of the your whole shop closes. We've got to go now. <laughs> I just find that amazing. I remember talking to. I'm going to try and remember which netballer it was. Um, it was a silver fern anyway, and I said, "How do you celebrate massive wins?" And we were, no, it was, it was in Invercargill after a steel game. I said, how do you celebrate after wins? And they said, mate, about as naughty as we get, one of us sneaks out to the service station and buys a few blocks of chocolate. I was just going to tell you, I might get in trouble. I'm not going to say the team, actually. One of the teams in the ANZ Premiership, their celebration is someone will sneak, if they're staying away, someone will sneak out of the hotel and get a block of chocolate. I know. And you'll walk around and share it, and you'll have little little nibbles, and it's such a big thing, having chocolate after a game. It's like, ooh, so naughty. I love it. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It's unbelievable. (laughs) No, it's not that far. I wouldn't wouldn't overuse that word. Um, Yeah, but Sheree Kaka, just... Beset with injuries to shoulders and ACLs, twice ACL back-to-back. And she was a travelling reserve to the 2016 Olympics, um, didn't play, and then got to go to the Olympics, win the gold medal. But when you watch her play, I love that all those players have different weaponry. Like there's the 
the brute force of, of the middle middle of the park players like like Sarah Hidney just gets all that dirty work done. We've got the absolute speed demons out wide. Michaela Blythe, Stacey Walker, um, Portia Woodman Wycliffe as well. When she she quite often starts on the bench, and then the fleet footedness of the likes of Sheree Kaka, Tyler Nathan Wong, Georgia Miller, like. She's entertainment in itself. I just cannot get my head around how young she is, how little amount of time she's been playing, and how she can command a game on the world stage. She is a f- phenomenal to watch, and she's not like flash in the pan either. Does it week in, week out. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about if you could go back in time and relive live a sporting event that either you can relive one that you've been to, or when you hadn't. Uh, good one here from Stephen. Staffy, <clears throat> watching Daniel Loder win gold, 200 and 400 freestyle 96 Olympics, Stephen. Good shout, Stephen. Great shout. Hey there, Staffy. Great topic for today. The 1973 Barbars, New Zealand, Gareth Edwards, etc. Yes, John Dawes, David Duckham, Phil Bennett. Oh, fantastic. We actually, we're going to do another one of these soon, actually. We highlighted that match. Um, I think we called What a Game or something like that. I am working on another one at the moment. <clears throat> Hope you'll enjoy it. Maybe it'll be ready by next week. I've been going for about 10 days. But they do take a bit of work. So we will bring you spasmodically. I'm going to try and make it fortnightly. So a couple of months, um, we will go back at a momentous moment in time and uh, celebrate things that will, once you've lived through it, and never leaves your memory. Um from Mark, I'm just on my way home from the course on my new golf cart. 105 for 18, slowly getting there, lads. Well, that's that's good, Mark. The, the first target when you start playing golf is to go round and under 108. This was my target anyway because that's a 36 handicap. Is 36 still the highest? I feel like they've pushed it out now to maybe 54. But anyway, my first goal was to break 108. Second goal was to break 100. And then it's 90, that takes a while. And then the really hard one was 80. That's the really hard one. But I'm stoked for you, Mark. You've gone under the first hurdle. In fact, no, the first hurdle was taking up the game and having the patience to persevere. So if you've got your 105 for 18, congratulations. Make sure you text all your little milestones. I want to hear from you when you go under 100. And then 95, 90, 85, and then the 80. If you can get onto 80... And you're 105 today. If you can get to, if you can get to 90, breaking 90 by September, $50 TRB bonus bet. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm allowed to say that. Get under 90 by when did I say September? First of September. Get into it, Mark. Practice and practice from 100 yards in more than anything. 50 yards in, even more. Chipping putting, that score will come down. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we'll take New Sport and Weather now. On the other side, we'll catch up with someone from the TAB. Not quite sure who, whoever answers the phone. We'll also find out what's making news and other bits and bobs.
Who's on the front? Cruising down the freeway in my hot, hot sun. Let's cruise down State Highway 1 and we'll call in for a cup of tea and a bit of a punting chat with Brendan Popperwell. BP, welcome in. Hey, Steph. How you doing, ma'am? Very well. Tuesdays, uh, back in my day, was the day I used to set the prices for Super Rugby. And I see mm-hmm. this, uh, they go out on Mondays now. So you've obviously, uh, you're working your rugby bookie hard, doesn't get a day off. Oh, gee. Hey, back in your day, yeah, that was a long time ago, wasn't it, Steph, when you were doing those sorts of things down there and we used to go and play a lot of cards and do all those sorts of things on Friday nights. Uh, the fellas, that was another century ago, Steph. Oh, glory. I remember when it very first started, people will find this hard to believe, sports betting was open from 10am to 6pm and we had 60 okay. options total. 60. Yeah. That was it. No power plays, no specials, no money backs, <laughs> no, no multis, no nothing. <laughs> no. Now there's 60 options on one game. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we choose which which baseball game will we take today? Which NBA game will we take today? Fascinating stuff. Yeah. But for me, the big game of the weekend uh, for New Zealanders is probably Hurricanes Blues. Hurricanes are at home. Yeah. Still waiting to hear if they've got Artie or not, though. Yes, yes. And I guess that might be the one thing the punters are are waiting on too. We have seen a little bit of money towards them at the same time. They're hovering around that 240 mark, uh, 160 for the Blues. Uh, draws kept safe at $18. The best place we've seen any support around uh, the Canes is in that 1 to 12 market space as well, with a $3.40. Uh, Blues 1 to 12, 260. Blues overs 340. Uh, point start at the moment is sitting at 3.5, uh, where things sit there, both at $1.87. But yeah, in the early stages, of betting, there has been a little bit of money towards uh, the Canes at the 240 mark. I really do feel like it's a weekend of some great matchups, isn't there? I mean, we've got that one, as you mentioned. Uh, I even look at a, at a game like the, the Brumbies and the Reds, where, look, the Brumbies, Brumbies look good, uh, and, and the Reds coming off a big win against the Falls. Brumbies, 152. Uh, we had some good interest in that price, to be honest with you, staff, uh, to beat the Reds. Uh, who are $2.50, and more importantly, the Highlanders' Chiefs game, too, to kick things off. All the money's around the the Chiefs. I sort of feel for the Highlanders. They could be a team that might be suffering uh, some some heavy defeats with what we've seen already, and a lot of push towards the Chiefs, 13 and over at $1.37, and even a bit of Chiefs minus 21.5 at $1.87 has also been touched up. One of the probably least looked at games I think might provide some of the better value and that is Moana Pacifica taking on the force. Now I know it's in Perth but I'm a bit uninspired by the force. I feel like Moana Pacifica might be targeting this one to get a win. Yeah, well I think the punters are a little bit the same as staff and early betting because uh, punters don't want it to go anywhere near the dollar fifty with the force, uh, with what they put up last weekend. Uh, so best price we can sort of find here that's that's taking any interest at the moment uh, is, in fact, around the Moana Pacifica team to uh, the plus twelve and a half. So it's not the it's the away point star, which is plus twelve and a half. It's currently a dollar thirty seven. So if, if you're looking for some sort of multi where you're thinking you want a few insurance points on your side, that one thirty seven. Uh, it has been the best one taken so far. The point start at this stage is plus five and a half at 187. 
But if you're just looking for that more insurance factor, that 137 is running through a few multis at the moment with Moana Pacifica plus 12.5. Uh, one round in to the NRL. Uh, before we look at a couple of the games, the outright winner, of course, we saw Penrith go down, we saw the Roosters go down, we saw the Storm just squeak through, Broncos winning. Uh, there was, it was a bit of a lottery of results over the weekend. Has it had much impact yeah. on the outright market? Yeah, it has. Look, Brisbane Broncos, uh, who obviously beat the Penrith Panthers, uh, have moved uh, to, to a quote of $10. They were around that sort of $16 mark, I think it was. So they're now $10. Been good support for the Bunnies. Bunnies are $7. Uh, I think they're a team that will will take a lot of interest throughout the next few weeks, uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs. They've got a really strong squad. They've got pretty much the same team from last year. Uh, and we saw them at their best yesterday, uh, last week, of course, with... You know, guys like Latrell and Cody Walker, you know they've got tri-scorers who've got a good pack. There's lots to like about South Sydney Rabbitohs. And the Penrith Panthers, look, that's 433. It's probably the, in terms of price, we don't normally see them at that type of price. And even at the start of the season, we were looking at sort of, what, $4.350 so often. But 433, just to push away from the Panthers. And look, so so they should be. They've lost two important games. and Obviously, the World Club Challenge match and the other game at home, which was the first game of the round against the Brisbane Broncos. Both were in wet conditions, um, those two particular matches, but they're clearly missing a couple of key personnel to get things right again. Uh, Appy Coruscant, I think, is the one key man there that they are missing. Uh, Roosters, $6, despite their loss against Dolphins. Uh, Melbourne Storm at $7. And as for a couple of other teams further down, well, the Dolphins are 46s, 41s for the Tigers, and the Warriors at $41. And we do get to see, of course... Uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons uh, played this week. They are part of the well-favoured teams in the wooden spoon market, the Dragons. <laughs> Dragons have moved from nines to 650, uh, third favourite in the wooden spoon market. Best back team uh, in that marketplace, the Newcastle Knights are the favourites in that at 340. They've actually replaced the Dolphins, who are second favourites in that market at 450. Dolphins were the favourites, but off the back of their spirited performance in round one, you'd have to say that they'll be winning games through 2023. Yeah, the wooden spoon, not a market you want to be favourite in. It sounds good, but it's a false good. It's a very false good. <laughs> <laughs> and Dragons and Titans go, Dragons Titans going yeah. at it this weekend, which will tell us a little bit of a tale about maybe a warm favourite for the spoon. But I want to go Roosters-Warriors. I know there'll be love for the Warriors at $4, mm. but how much love? Look, enough of Bit of love to say that that might even move, um, staff. That that's the sort of love we're seeing at this early stage. Now, where where that sits by the time we should say Thursday, Friday, um, it, it will be the different talking point. But at this stage, with how the punters saw how the Roosters play, there's a couple of question marks. Of course, the teams haven't been announced yet. It will be later on this afternoon around the Roosters. Nobody's touching the dollar twenty-three, and all the early bits are around the Warriors sitting at, at the four-dollar price. There's been takers of four dollars. There's also been takers of the one to twelve at the five dollars uh, for the Warriors, who of course got two games on the road uh, this game, and then of course the following week uh, in Townsville against the Cowboys. So this is a real test of, of Warriors 2023 to get back on the road, and then they'll be home in round number four at Mount Smart against the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. So a good early test to see where this team is at for 23. Great stuff, pops. Always good to chat, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers, Steph. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Brendan Popperwell from the TAB.co.nz or the TAB app. You can download that. There's the tips. 
There's the specials. There's the watch and bet tab. I tweeted about that the other day, and people said, I didn't know you could watch live sport on the TAB app. You can. You can watch any NBA game. Watch and bet. They've got the internet rights to broadcast. Can you believe it? Masterstroke. Masterstroke. Watch and bet on the TAB app. You just need an account and a balance in there. That's it. That's my news for the day. But kids has got some more after the break. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? Well, I'm fully reclined, uh, kids and Kay. Wow, where is Steffi? I could just see the top of your head. You're leant all the way back. Yeah, well, I'm Tony Kemp's chair and it just reclines too far. Can you just speak up a little bit there, Steffi? Sorry. I'm in Tony Kemp's chair and it reclines too far. <laughs> it does. Uncle does love a lie down. Yeah. Uh, so I thought, Steffi, I'll take you through what's making news Please. before we crack on with some real news from the main man, Johnny Mac. Please. Mihailo Tolotos. Mm-hmm. Have you heard the legend of uh, Mihailo? He's just, uh, there's a story that's come out and he's uh, an urban myth. Do oh. I know why? He was the world dominoes champ, but you tell me what the latest story is. Is that true? Yeah. Wow. So there's another fella here who lived, who lived uh, a full life up to the age of 82, mm. never laid his eyes on a single woman. Ever. Ever, ever. So, uh, Tolosos, he was born in 1856, so I doubt that this is the Domino's champion. Oh, it could be, actually. Domino's has been around since the 14th century. Was that your sporting moment? You wish, you wish you could go to Mihailo Tolosos' uh, 19, <laughs> uh, 1857 Domino's final. Uh, he was. He lived in um, Greece on a special mountain that doesn't have a name for yet. They're calling it Mount Athos at the minute. Uh, and it's just been rediscovered where he used to live. And so he was raised around Orthodox monks, and they never told him about the woman. Wow. So he, once he was in his early 70s, uh, a dear friend came to visit him to explain the concept that he'd been married. <laughs> uh, it was such a shock that Mihailo fell ill. And uh, unfortunately, uh, only lived to the age of 82 after hearing about his first woman. So imagine going through your life and you... Just thinking, everyone's a man. Well, he never left uh, the the mountain, and so it was just him and his uh, monk peers around him, his whole 82 years of life. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. There was a, the, the top comment uh, on that story was, he lived a peaceful life. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend whose grandmother lived in Turangi. Yes. Had never been further south than Waiuru and never further north than Taupo. And she was 70-something. Part of me likes that, you know? It's mm. like, it's just, you're true to your area. Like, why would I leave? I've got everything I need here. Yeah, well, really you've got the Jakanu Hot Pools, you've got the Z Service Station, good little bakery you if go. you care to go off state highway one. Love yeah. it. There you go. Uh, there has been uh, a little morgue incident in China. In 2014, uh, Zhu Kongulu was confirmed dead. Staffy, please don't, man. I, I tried my best. It was confirmed dead following a car accident. Mm. He was then uh, cremated. Uh, family and friends identified the body, uh, thinking it was him. The damage was so bad. That was in 2014. They've just found him. He's reappeared. He's reappeared. And uh, he's been writing letters to the family uh, for since 2014. He just had no idea where to send them because he had uh, uh, severe memory. Yeah, amnesia from the incident. Now the Chinese authorities are in a little bit of trouble trying to figure out who was cremated. 
Oh, it's a bit of a dodgy story. So he was cremated. Yeah. But it wasn't him. He's reappeared. Uh, his grandson was actually going to get an apple juice in a village uh, 20 kilometres. Yes, 20 kilometres from where uh, he was raised. And he said to this um, fellow on the side of the street, you look like my granddad. And so he said his name and the guy's face lit up and he came and took this kid in and showed him all these notes that he'd been writing to his family for years, being like, hey, I'm still alive. I just don't know where I am. <laughs> he was 20 kilometres away in a nearby village. So wow. I just thought that one, a bit of a slow day. Staffy to be fair. That's an interesting day. A British woman living in Australia had a reality check. So two weeks ago, she posted on Facebook, give anyone $20 to come remove this large insect from my house. And it was a very large stick bug, you know, Australia had the bugs. She's back on the same Facebook page uh, this week. She's offering $50 for someone to come and remove a spider from her house. Only an hour later, a snake. So it's $100 if you can come and take the snake and a spider away from this British lady's home who's lived in Australia for two months. Uh, she's in the Sydney eastern suburbs, and according to the Daily Mail, the woman has posted on Facebook three times since arriving, all offering money to take out a pet or insect from her house. Well, It's a bit of bad luck, isn't it? Imagine, Jan, we're going to start a good life over here in wonderful, sunny Australia. Day one, you got a snake. No, you get a no, stick insect. Yeah, you get a stick insect. Then you Week go spider, later, then spider, you go snake. snake. I was staying at a resort in Australia once, and there was a snake up in the uh, the outside dining area off the off the restaurant, sort of like a deck but with a roof. Mm. And there was a snake coiled up in the corner, and I saw it, and I just about soiled myself. And they're just going, "No, no, that's where he lives. All good." And he's just looking down around at everyone eating, and I'm like, "Can they leap?" You know, because I, I felt like I was a leaping distance of snake. We've got a spider that lives in my room. I know it's not a snake, but we've got a spider that lives in my room. I leave him. My partner absolutely hates him, but I swear to you, he gets every single mosquito that comes into my room. Very peaceful guy. He just what stays in the corner. What sort of spider? Oh, oh, I'll find that out for you. That can be my fact of the week. <laughs> Steph, do you want a quick fact of the day before we jump out? Race car. No, I'm joking. I'm not going to give you that one three days in a row. Competitive art. Used yep. to be an Olympic sport. Mm. Now, I might start a uh, petition for Mark Stafford's Olympic hopes and dreams. I believe you could win gold at the Olympics, Staffy. From 1912 to 1948, the international sporting events awarded medals for music, painting, sculptures, and architecture. Shame it didn't catch on. Mark Stafford could have had himself a gold. Well, we need to start that lobby up. Change.org.nz. Get a petition go. There we go. Patreon. Send Staff to the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have one more break before the news. What do we got here? We got Staffy. Oh, I've told you about the Daniel Loder. Someone wants to go back in time and watch Daniel Loder. And here's some advice from Rusa from Howick to our golfer, Mark. He says, best way to break 90 is aim for five every hole. Anything less is a bonus. Five times 18 is 90. The game becomes a lot easier when you think logically. Good luck, Marky. That's from Rusa of Howick. I agree. I agree. Or or the other way to do it is play for every hole, play play to score a bogey on every hole, and if you sneak a par in, happy days. As long as you get three pars and two double bogeys, happy days. Break 90. Um, <laughs> can't read that, Chris. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Uh, listening to you say Staffy could win medals for his artwork, 
How is this Commonwealth Games archery qualifying coming along? Richard, great question. I will delve into that at a later date, but for now, it's news. Mark's replied, Ruza from Howick. He said, yes, boy, Ruza, great tips. So we've got a little bit of uh, golf loving going on. Um, all advice greatly received. Um, the game I would have liked to have been at from Andrew in Brisbane, he says, is the 2004 The Mighty Bay of Plenty Steamers winning the Ramfurly Shield. I was 14 years old and I cried when we lost late in the game in 1994 and shed a tear again when we won it in 2004. I was playing for the Mount Monganui Senior B team that year and watched it on TV with some teammates. A few Mounties were in the team and mate March and mate March Sorensen, oh Mark Sorensen was also in the team Andrew in Brisbane. What a memory what a memory that is um the monk, oh, I'm not reading that one, Chris. I nearly fell into your trap, Chris, about the monk living on the mountain. Nearly fell into the trap. Now, earlier today, earlier today, uh, I had a chat with Nolene Taurua, Dame Nolene, coach of the Silver Ferns. We've split this into two bits, and there's a reason for it. But I'm going to play you the first bit, which is a netball chat, a good old netball chat. Then we'll take a break and we'll come back with part two and we have a bit of fun. But Dame Nolene joined me this morning and, of course, the ANZ Premiership is back up and running. They've all played uh, one round, so I asked Dame Nolene what she made of round one. Look, it's always that um, fact of getting the competition underway. Uh, good to see where people are at and good to see that starting point. So I'll be happy to look at round two. I always think there's that sort of teething, you know, so hopefully as the rounds go on, they start to settle and uh, it'll get juicy as it goes along. Yeah, well, I was really impressed with some players, and I can name them. You can't because you've got to keep your cards under your under your hat, don't you? But um, the form of some of the some of the uh, established players, particularly Karen Berger last night, I thought was fantastic. But the the new girl Warmsley from the Pulse surprised me as well. And you must be delighted that these young twenty twenty one year olds are stepping up almost when they get their first chance. Yeah, I think that is the most exciting thing, actually. Um, Wormsley has been in, uh, I think she was with Tactics, um, came in her last year of school and, and filled in there for the first year um, and has made the move to Pulse over the last couple of years. And we had a bit of a gap in one of our camps um, last year and she came in to fill that gap and I was most impressed by her at that time. So I'm really happy that she's been able to get that opportunity to get out on court um, and good things for her to come. Uh, really excited by that. 
And of course, we've got the Worlds this year, so it's it's always got a little bit more importance weighted to it. What are you looking for when you go to these premiership games or watch them on TV or there in person? What are you looking for to build a squad for such an important tournament? Yeah, um, the thing probably which is a wee bit different on this year is that we're not trialling and sort of we got a bit of an inkling around that last year. Um, and because of the time where ANZ sits and, and because of the deadline dates, it means that we just don't have the space and time to go into trials. So we pick uh, two days straight after the grand finals. Um, so that's a different position. Now, to counteract that as such, um, we've had, uh, I think, 25 out of the 26 uh, players who were named in the squads last year, uh, the Silver Ferns and also Development Squad, involved in international competition, whether it's been Fast Five, Constellation Cup, England or Quad that we've just had. Um, so we've got a good taster, I suppose, of everybody um, as to what they look like against international um, opposition, uh, their ability to be able to handle the pressure and execute day in, day out, but also game to game. Um, and we've got really good um, data in that in regards to where we expect the shifts to happen, specifically around skill sets or the physical body. Um, so each person has their own area, I suppose, that they have to improve on. But the great thing, it's been benchmarked against international standards and opposition. So we've got a fair whack of information and we've gone through the, the grind, I suppose, of having people in and out of our system uh, for a few years now. And now it's just about this A and Z and seeing the people that do have done the work that they ha- are shifting in specific areas and they're putting their hand up and I feel um, it's a good start for a lot um, in the first round and some of the areas are just going to be really tough for us to be able to really whittle it down to 12. Yeah, because I'd imagine of the 12, you've probably already got seven in ink. Um, There can't be any denying of that. But I know the importance that um, you've placed on pinnacle event experience because you just can't buy that. You can't inject that. You can't simulate that. Is that still a big focus along with fitness, along with form, this pinnacle event experience? Can you explain to us why that's so important? Yeah, look, um, on all the Olympics, um, all pinnacle events where it's sports and they've done the reviews, that's been a, I suppose, a telling sign or um, factor is to teams that are successful, people are successful, they've had huge pinnacle event experience. Um, and it usually comes down to those people who can take the grind is what we say. You know, we, we go away when we get to Netball World Cup, we're away for three weeks and you're in a managed environment. But it's that ability just to do your job, lead yourself. Um, you're not high maintenance as such um, and you're working for other people and yourself obviously and sometimes you can see when people will actually do wilt because they're not used to that environment um, hence us trying to bring as many people in to um, get that experience um, under their belt so um, you know that's been a successful factor for us is, is that um, 
Pinnacle event experience. But also, you know, it's quite an interesting thing because when we went to Commonwealth Games last year, we were the least, you know, we had the least experience and uh, we were handed with what we had. Um, and we actually did very well with the players uh, that we had um, with us at that time. So, you know, you've got to get the balance right. Um, and it's always one of those things is I think that the best person uh, for their job and can execute in their position will always rise to the top, whether they've got experience or not. Um, so I'm, I'm open to make sure that I um, keep open in that and that um, I don't get hooked up in sometimes what somebody's done in the past. Um, where if they're, if they're performing now, that's what I want as well. Is there an opportunity for someone to wear the black dress for the first time this season or maybe someone that hasn't worn it for a couple of years with some undeniable form in this ANZ Premiership? I think um, you can't go away from form. Um, when somebody has come in and they haven't experienced an international um, uh, game or and obviously with us going into a pinnacle, they have to be amazing. Like They have to be so big and so good that we can't not do without them, especially if they haven't got that experience. It can't be, they have to probably be a number one position um, because, you know, it's just, there's a lot of riding on it. Um, if somebody has had that experience and they've been away for a wee while, definitely we'll keep our eyes open um, and make sure we select people on current form um, and see what they can actually do. There's going to be one gap to fill with Kayla Cullen, uh, and of course we all gra- congratulate her on the um, new arrival that will be her second child, so she's not going to be available. There is an opportunity there for someone at the defensive end, sort of a, a goal defence, wing defence, sort of swing player, I guess. They'll be hungry, those players, and I guess you're going to have a magnifying glass to fill Kayla's spot. Yeah, definitely. Um, like always, when you have experienced campaigners, they do leave a spot uh, and leave your own personality and character as well. So um, we've probably been quite fortunate with uh, Karen Berger and Jane Watson coming back in, um, as they have, came back into January quad series. And obviously one coming out of injury, the other one having a baby herself. So as they build into uh, tactics and and A and Z, I would expect them to slowly shift and progress. Um, So we'd be very lucky in that respect. And, you know, you've got the likes of Anali Timu. We're quite strong in our in-circle defence. But as you said, the wing defence, goal defence, it's where people are going to be positioned. That's probably the, the big decider as to what that makeup of that defensive unit's going to look like. All the very best for, for a cool year. Thanks for the call. Cheers, matey. So that was Dame Nolene from earlier this morning. Always good to catch up with her. I get the feeling she's already picked her squad with maybe just one or two floaters, maybe two players, maybe going for one spot. I'm just not a hundy. But um, she's just so open and honest and forthright. I really enjoyed it. Now, the other thing we did, we played a bit of a game with Dame Knowles. Uh, I told her about it, and she played along. So we're going to play you this little game. It's five questions. I asked her five questions, and me and Captain K this morning both follow netball. 
we had to try and guess what she would say in her answers. So after the break, we'll talk to tell you what the questions were, tell you what mine, Captain K's answers were, and then we'll play you the game with Dame Nolene after the break. Tears when I was 18 So nobody made me but the main streets Cause too many Yeah, a little bit of weekend on Tuesday We've got the um, Tuesday draft day today too, haven't we? At some we stage At some stage, I haven't even compiled a list I need to get onto that Now, as I mentioned before the break We had Dame Nolene on Talking all things Silver Ferns Just can't believe I said all things uh, um, Unbelievable from you, Stevie Thanks, mate You've said it more than me today. I have. I'm having fun with it. Now, what we did with Dame Nolene, I asked her five questions. And in the pre-record booth this morning, I asked her the five questions. I had my five answers. Captain K, you haven't heard this chat yet, so I'm going to ask you the questions. I'm asking Dame Knowles, and I want your answers, please. I love it. Let's have a crack. So the first question I asked her, which of the Silver Ferns is most likely to be a party starter? To me, this one is obvious. Is it? The party starter... Who else but the DJ herself, Whitney Soonis? That's what I'm going with. So that's what I went with as well. I'm not going to tell you whether that's who she said or not. Great minds. So we both said Whitney Soonis. Next one. Least Silver Fern, least likely to get a tattoo. Okay, my thinking here was who was the kindest. The kindest? The kindest, because like when I think of someone who's very, very, very kind and quite uh, conservative, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I'm going to guess Kelly Jury. Kelly Jury for you. I said Kate Heffernan. Oh, yeah. I think she might have a tattoo. Oh, do you? Maybe I'm. Maybe it's the other one. Maybe Kelly Jury's got one. Oh. Well, oh we'll okay, f- we'll find out. We'll, we'll find, find out, out what we'll Dame Noll says. Um, interesting one here. Which silver fern plays through pain? Oh, you can make a case for all of them, but if she gives a single answer... Mm. I'm going to go for the biggest warrior that I know on netball, Sulul Fitzpatrick. Okay. I went Karen Berger. I just think she is tough. Yeah, and that foot injury. Tough. Yes. Uh, Next one. Which silver fern cries after winning or losing? Like the emotional Mm. one that gets the waterworks going. I'm actually going to say Sulul again just because of how passionate she is. Okay. I feel like if there was... An obvious silver fern that would cry it would be Sulul because of how passionate she is. See, I don't think gives I, everything to the game. Yeah, she does. And it I wouldn't don't see be a, it wouldn't be an out on court though. Ah, okay. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think any of them would cry on court. Mm. So my answer for that would be Sulul. So my one was uh, Ali Timu. Oh, okay. Uh, the defender, just because she tries her guts out, wears her heart heart on her sleeve, and I could just see her just shedding the odd tear for a win, amazing win, or a. Heart-wrenching defeat. And the last one I asked her was, which silver fern has the meanest pukana? Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'll go with this one because I've seen it plenty in person. I'll say Maya Wilson. Maya Wilson. Yes. yes good shot. seen it at many Stars games. It strikes fear into my eyes. So. Okay. I'll go so with Maya. We only agreed on the Whitney one, with, um, but I went Sulu Fitzpatrick in that one. <laughs> that makes it interesting. <laughs> it does. So I'll be interested to see who... Who she says. So, they were the five questions. 
That's mine and Captain K's answers. I know who's right. Or I know who did better than the other, but I'm not going. I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to ruin Captain K's party. So the first question I asked Dame Nolene: Which silver fern is most likely to be a party starter? Oh, party starter! Oh God, jeez! You mean a party party? Yeah, like a party after you after mean, a game. They're going to start the party. Oh. Oh, God, we're, we're very, oh, God, these questions are terrible. That's only, that's only the first um, one, I'm going to say myself, I'm going to say myself, but uh, maybe i better get out of there. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Look, honestly, we're very, we're very clean, we're very good. Um, I was going to say little wee Kimmy Order Poi likes a wee um, party, but um, she's also very good as well. <laughs> oh, look, pass. Terrible okay. pass. Mine was Whitney Soonis. Okay, that was my one. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, actually. Here's one. <laughs> Which of the silver ferns is least likely to get a tattoo? Oh, I'd say Kelly Jury. Oh, I had Kate Heffernan. Okay, Kelly, I'm, I'm 0 from 2. Which player is most likely to play through pain? Oh, Amelia Ikenasio. Oh, gosh, I put Karen Berger for that. I'm 33 and 0. Which player... I am who too, actually. Yeah, which player cries after winning or losing? Uh, we don't have any. We don't have any criers. Oh, nobody. Nobody. Okay, I got that one wrong. No, well. we don't have no criers in our team. That's nice. And this one, I think I'll get this one. Which one of the silver ferns has the meanest pukana? Oh, Tiana and Maya. So, Captain K, I heard you ringing bells and doing. We were right and we were wrong. I think it was. It was got, there was a little bit of she gave her answer and then you're like, oh, I, I thought it's still in my and she's like, oh yeah, oh, yeah. no, no, them. It's her actually too. them. Yes, so, it was pretty interesting. But no criers, no criers in the silver I like that. I like you see, that. and if I actually think about, I think there were tears. Um, there were definitely tears. The Gold Coast Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. Definitely tears mm-hmm. of devastation. There's tears in national anthems. From oh, what? Yeah, from you. Mean? You, yeah, cr- from you cry in national anthems, but players do. Uh, debutants. Yes. And can I just say tears are not a sign of weakness? I, I just sign. admitted that I cried during the national anthem. You always Out of do. all things. Even if it's at the New Zealand Grand Prix. You got a bit teary. I did get a bit teary. I was trying to we around a lot downs. of people that were looking at us, so I was trying to hold it together. That's interesting, eh? I don't. I actually don't even know what it is. I think it's just. It just reminds me of the greatness of New Zealand. I don't know. It's quite, it quite sounds very patriotic. So what do you am, like? What do you like at Olympic gold medal ceremonies if a New Zealand's on top of the dais and the flags going up and the anthem's playing? That's when I'll cry. Yeah. <laughs> That's when I cry. I remember the most I've ever cried during the National Anthem was the Constellation Cup uh, game one at Spark Arena. And I was sick. Do you remember that? I, we were going to go down and commentate it. And I was in studio with you. Yeah. And I was saying, Staffy, man, I'm really not feeling well. I don't think it's good if I go. And I just remember watching the National Anthem and it was Peter Tuiava, my favourite player's returning game. 
and I just saw her singing the anthem and I just, the waterworks just came, Sappy. I'm getting emotional talking about it now. But I think it's, yeah, it's it's definitely sporting related, mm. the national anthem tears for me. But yeah, yeah no, it's not weakness. No. It's not a weakness. It's, it's more funny, pride. The, the national anthem I remember the most, and it was weird because it was a, it was a Mark Todd gold medal and it must have been a weird time zone. I don't know which Olympics it was. And I was at my parents' place, and I was in bed. It was early in the morning, and it, and he'd won the gold medal, and that was amazing. And then about, I don't know, half an hour later, they had the medal ceremony, and I'm in bed watching the medal ceremony, and the anthem started. I got out of bed and stood up. Steph, that's awesome. I just that, that I, makes I, my day. I thought I can't stay in bed while the national anthem New Zealand's being played for a gold medal. I got out of bed and stood up next to my bed. Have you carried that tradition? Yeah, I don't sit down yeah. for the anthem. No, no good receipt. I, I, I take it a bit. I always take my hat off. I do? Yeah, even at like when we were at netball and things. I, I know I'm holding the headphones, but I always would take my headphones off or take my hat off. Really? And I don't, I don't hold it on my heart or anything. I just I just is force it, a is habit. Is that a thing? I don't, I don't know if it's a thing. I know it's definitely a thing out there, but I'm not sure if it's common for double eight, double three, temporary <laughs> beer post text machine. Let us know. When the national anthem's on, do you take your hat off, yes or no? Is it, and is it, because I know you have to take your hat off in a golf clubhouse. We, we discovered that last week. Oh. Well, I've known it's a long time tradition and Sam was spewing because he went into a golf clubhouse. Was he wearing his pink? No, he took his cap off. Oh, okay. But as he was leaving, he put his cap on just before he left the doors and a lady yelled at him and said, <gasps> make mine a vodka and soda, please, man, with the cap on. And really? he just swung around and said, that's a tradition that's got to go. But, yeah, do you take your cap off or your hat off for the national anthem? I feel like it probably is a thing, as a, as a respect thing, because, you, yeah, you doff your hat, don't you? I don't know. Someone out there will know about the tradition of hats and national anthems. Gosh, we went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> so, yeah. See, so great answers from Dame Knowles, Daddy. Great answers from Dame Knowles. Yeah, circle all the way back to Dame Knowles. So Dame Knowles' party starter is Kimi Poi. Least likely to get a tattoo is Kelly Jury. I might, I might message Kelly Jury and just say, "Have you got a tattoo, and would you ever get one?" I reckon, go for it. Or maybe we could sponsor her to get a tattoo, mm. and just see if you're on the money or not. Get an S E N Z tattoo, no, an A F S, A W S. <laughs> Afternoons <laughs> four, Steffi. Afternoons fifth, Steffi. Um, her play that plays repaying Emilia and Ekinacio. No one cries, and the best pukana, Tiana Matura. As soon as she said that, I'm like, yeah, I'm actually with you there. I'm happy to, to admit I've got that one wrong. Right, um, 2.30, news, and then Draft Day Tuesday? Let's do Draft Day Tuesday straight after the news. Righto, live from the Autodrome. I've only written down six during the news, Captain K. I hope he's done in common. <laughs> and Niv's probably been working on, on his since about nine o'clock this morning, have you, Niv? When did you write your five down? When Kez told me to. So, yeah, about 9.30. Oh, no. There's definitely going to be overlap, Steph. There's going to be overlap, eh? I'm very nervous for this one, Steph. You wrote six, I wrote seven. During the news. 
No, yeah. but I've got a quite a few. I think, uh, Steffi, you gave me the reins to pick today's Tuesday draft day, and I went uh, with something very current. Now, uh, we need we need a batting order. We do. Now, I thought, Steffi, because it is his I think international debut. Yeah, Niv goes last. Cause he's, him back had, down. he's had all that time. He's, how many's on your list? Uh, seven. Oh, no. <laughs> should okay. have had more. I'll tell you what, since, Steffi, you are still writing yours... You oh, can go read, first. I just wrote another one. Okay. So we'll go in order that they were written. From uh, earliest to latest. So you start. Okay. Me second. Okay. And third. Right. Things that annoy you about driving on the road. Is that what the subject is? Yes. Or on the road. Okay. I've got a first equal, so I'm just going to go first. People that drive in the right-hand lane going 80 kilometres an oh. hour. Oh, and the lane on the left of them is empty. I've got six now. <laughs> That's my number one. I call them right-hand lane blockers. I love that. That's actually quite a good one. Mine's, uh, mine's current. When you let someone in to the right-hand lane, or any lane of that matter, and they don't flash their hazards or put their hand and up say, and thank say thank you. you. Say thank you. I, I, it should be illegal. I can't handle it. If you, let, if you go out of the way to let someone in during traffic, peak traffic in Auckland, and they don't say thank you and they just keep driving? Nah. Not even not happy with me. Ruin my morning. Sure. No, on debut. What do you got? Speed cameras. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, there's a new speed camera every week now, isn't there? Oh, no. Oh, I've just got no time for them. And when I'm driving up north to go home to Kitty Kitty, there's plenty of them. When when I was in Australia, and I think it was in Perth, there's a sign saying there's a speed camera coming up. Like it's it's law. There's there's one on I think it might be Great North Road. And I was like, look how good that is. And uh, my partner, who's Australian, was like, what, do they not say that for you? And I was like, no, nah, I would have saved a lot of... No, I'm joking, saved a lot of money <laughs> if I just saw that. Um, but yeah, that's that's the way we should go. Steffi, round two, pick. Clear, clear second pick, nearly first. People that speed up in the passing lanes. Oh, damn it. You're driving behind them at 85, 90. That's okay. Not in a hurry. Passing lane comes, they do 110. Okay. Passing lane finishes, they go back to 85. Huge pet peeve. Yep. Mine's a bit more local, maybe a little bit rural, uh, being out in the, the deep west Auckland. Rural. Rural. Rural roundup. Uh, when you... There's road works, mm. right? They finally fix the road. <laughs> the next week they're doing the other side of the road. That didn't need fixing at all. <laughs> Back-to-back roadworks. <laughs> do you guys experience that, or is that just a me oh, thing? That's a West thing, yeah. That's a we- they just, we've got nothing to do out we so we just rebuilt the same road twice in the succession of a month. <laughs> we'll change it from gravel to, to perfect cement, and then the next week it's gravel again. It does my head in. Let me know as well. Niv. <laughs> my, mine's a bit more obscure. It's very urban, but what really grinds my gears are pedestrian crossings that come immediately after a roundabout. Oh, we've got a few of them. Jeez, you've put some thought into this, Nerve Dog. I'm pretty awake at 9.30. I'm pretty sharp. Mm. Uh, My third one, driving at night, and the person behind me has their lights on high beam. High beam. Oh. (laughs) Do you think they know that they have their lights on high beam? If they're driving behind me, they do. They oh. certainly find out. Ooh, they see big red flashes coming from, <laughs> from Steffi. I would not want to tail this man. My, one's a, my, my third pick, it's quite similar to my last one. It's off the back, and I realised it this morning. 
and I realised it through a video actually, the amount of road cones that there are in Auckland. <laughs> Do you know how many of them get knocked idea. over and no one wants to go and pick them up? So I'm constantly <laughs> swerving around road cones. It is uh, disgraceful to me. <laughs> DJ cones. Niv, take it away. Oh, one thing that really catches my family out when they come over from South Africa is the the sudden merges from two lanes into one after a traffic light. It happens too often, and sometimes the sign is blocked by foil, foliage. Foliage. That's the one. Yes. Yes, that is very true. Hadn't thought of that one. What are we up to, number four? Number four. It's sort of... It's a little bit the same as yours, but not. It's a step before the people that don't say thanks for merging. Mm. Let people in that are on a side road and you're on Great South Road or you're on Lun Ave or something and you're sitting there. I'm like, one car, let me in, be 10 seconds later to your destination, but you sit there for a minute. And I always let people in thinking karma will come back. It's never come back. People don't let me in. I was just going to say, Staffy, it's people like us. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we let these people in, but they never let us they in. Never let, I let everyone in. Oh, I'm the same. That really annoys me. Niv, I was going to sort of take your one. It was when people don't follow. So you're in, you're in traffic again, and we're coming up to a merge. And people don't follow one, two, one, two. I know, like the zip. I, it happened to me this morning. So there was a car in front of me, a car next to me, me, and then a car behind me. The order is one, two, three, four, right? And you merge like a zip. Like all the signs tell you to do. Nah, this white BMW thought I own the road today. And he uh, took up off the right side and had no choice but to let him in. And he didn't say thanks either. Here's me. Merges like Velcro. Nerve. How many picks do we have left? Uh, you two. have two. Oh, I've got I two. I have one. I, has, I don't think anyone's mentioned the no indicators thing yet. It was next on my list. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Steph. But you take it. Yeah, mate, that really grinds my gears. It, look, it just takes a split second. Just mm. show me where you go. Mm. My final one, and this annoys the bejesus out of me, because I got a ticket for this when I was a young fella. Cars, and even more so motorbikes, that are horrendously loud. Like, mm. really, really loud. Excessive noise. I got a ticket for excessive noise from a cop back in the day because I had a small hole in my muffler, which I got a muffler bandage and fix it. But those noisy mongrels that drive really late at night, can't do it. Noisy cars. You know what they say, you can modify anything but a car <laughs> nowadays, yeah. can't you? That's a really good one, Steph. I do like that one. Mm. But uh, as a young man myself, I better... Stay away before I bite my own tongue. <laughs> my last pick. Changing the speed limit on your local road, <laughs> right? <laughs> we are in a neighbourhood where everybody knows everyone. We are all sensible and responsible drivers. There has never been a police car that's come down my road. And we've changed from 50 to 40 on our main road. <laughs> and uh, the, the exit has gone from 70 to 60. For what reason? I don't know. I'm all for safe driving, but if I get a ticket now because I'm subconsciously driving 70, like I have for the last however many years, and I get a ticket, mm. I'm not going to be very happy about it. Mm. And I know the people of uh, Waimalku, even further west, <laughs> get my back here because it changes every second week. Yeah. Niv, take it away. Your last, last one. Uh, for my last pick of things that annoy me on the road, Suzuki Swifts. <laughs> <laughs> Just can't stand them. Terrible Thank car. You. Thank you. That's Mill- all. Millie drives one of those. That's the winner for me. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a few people saying, uh, people not turning their indicators off, 
Greg from the Naki. Yeah, a good one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> women yeah. towing horse floats are easily the worst drivers, drivers by far. That's a fact from Dave. <laughs> People who are half in, half out of the medium strip when turning right and they block up the left lane. Yes. And then we've got tears about anthems, which we'll get to. But because we have a pressing issue now, we have the vault to play. It's a brand new vault locked away by Navit. I don't know what it is. Do you know what it is, Captain K? I know roughly what area it is. Okay, so Niv, you have to tell Captain K, because we're going to take calls. You get seven questions. Count them, seven questions, yes, no questions. You can ring up 0800 150 811 if you can guess the sporting moment that's locked up in the vault. We'll give you a $100 TV bonus bet. The vault. Just before they play the vault... I just got a text from my sister. Would you believe it? I'm on the Waikato Expressway, right in the right lane, stuck behind a car going 90Ks in a 110K zone. (laughs) So it's real. It is real. Now, no calls for the vault. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You're trying to get people to do the hard yards and you'll come and swoop when the TAB bonus bet's up for grabs. So here's what we're going to do. I don't know what the answer is. So I'm contestant number one. And here's the thing. If I get it right, I get the $100 TAB bonus bet. It's only fair because no one rung. And don't ring now because it's too late. I'm going to play. Seven questions. Can I unlock the vault? Here we go. Question number one. This is how you play. Question number one. Um, Is the sporting moment... I like location and era. So is this sporting moment in the take place in the Southern Hemisphere? No, it did not, Stephanator. Southern Hemisphere, no. Right. Did this event take place pre... pre-2005? Yes, it was pre two thousand and five. Can I have a guess? Whoa, <laughs> he's going bold. Okay, is this sporting moment involving? Is it a team sport? I'm just consulting. Is this moment a team sport? This moment a team sport. This moment is not a team sport. Now, I've picked up a clue there. I've picked up a clue. This moment, is it a team sport? Because it is a team sport, but this moment isn't. It's an individual. So I'm thinking it's tennis, singles, because there's doubles. It's bowls, something like that. There's an Olympic team, but they're made up of individuals. Right, this is the way I'm thinking. He's falling for our mind games, Niv. (laughs) Is it a team sport? No. So it's an individual sport pre-2005 in the Northern Hemisphere. Pre-2005. Okay. Is this involving... No, it's an individual. Is this a New Zealand... This is clever. Is this a New Zealand sportsman involved in this moment? Double the tundra. Yes, it is, Steffi. See what I did there? I do. Two and questions I don't like it because you're getting close. Two questions And you know these tricks with that. You can ask five questions at the same time. It's a New Zealander and a, and a man. Okay. Is 
What do I do here? Is it a performance? At... Is it a performance at a World Championships? No. Damn. Okay. Is it a team sport? No. Tour de France. Um, goodness me. Is there a ball involved in this moment? No. Oh, no. I've lost the scent. I've lost the scent. Is there a ball involved? No. So no ball. Okay. Is there... There's no ball. In this sport... You're asking me about the sport or the moment? No, the sport okay. that's involved in the moment. Is the sport that's involved in the moment use equipment as opposed to running swimming so you know okay, so I understand, it's not just a I understand your question yeah and good thing you asked it because yes it does involve equipment okay can i have my guess if you'd like go ahead oh no it's not a ball i was going to say chris lewis not a ball using equipment is this moment uh, um Wow. Northern Hemisphere. I actually don't even know if I've got a guess. Mike O'Rourke, Javelin. Uh, I shouldn't be speaking out loud. Is it... Um, I'll just go Simon Wee Ruthany at the Winter Olympics. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to punch that into the vault and see what happens. Come on, Simon! My word. Just kidding, Steffi. Oh, you mugger! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I saw the opportunity. Oh, you took it with both oh, hands. You oh, ladies, you, you should have seen the look on Steffi's face when he opened it. He thought he was uh, going to be a very rich man. Oh, okay. I've done some good work, have I? Very good work. You've laid some fantastic foundations. Okay. Take a break. I'm exhausted. Uh, hello to you in Queenstown. If you're listening to us on 93.6 or Rotorua on 1548 AM, and of course, Mighty Manu 828 AM, and Russell 94.4. Give us a toot, Russell. Um, Brendan says he hates tailgaters that are so close you can see if they've got food in their teeth. <laughs> tailgaters, I'm not a fan of either. And someone just uh, texts her a guess for the vault. I tell you what, ring up tomorrow. You might be right, you might be wrong. I asked about the question about hats in the anthem. Pete has said, National Anthem and One Minute Silent, always hats off. Pete, thank you. Hats off to you. Um, someone else has said, I always cry when I hear our anthem. I'm a stander as well, probably primary school training. When I see the Auckland Airport big flag or cross the Harbour Bridge, I have a deep breath. Did you text that in, Captain K? It's my burner phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, memorable national anthem was Benji Marshall's return match for the Kiwis when he cried. I had to take a few deep breaths myself, emotional stuff, 100%. I do remember that as well. It was amazing. Coming up is the new sport and weather with Johnny Mac, and we'll come back. We're analysing rugby in the next half hour. You'll love it. 
Just gone three o'clock and we're going to get analytical on the great game of rugby now. Now, I stumbled upon Sam Lanner. He's in the UK. I stumbled on him on Twitter, which and Twitter can be a wonderful thing when you want it to be. And finding Sam's account and analysis of rugby has been a great source of entertainment and intuition for me over the last couple of weeks. And he joins us on the line now. G'day, Sam. Hi there, Mark. Thank you very much for having me and thanks for the kind words as well. Um, gosh, you've you've covered so many things in rugby, and it, it, it's it's actually really technical, but still easy to understand. You take the time to point things out to us about strategies of rugby and the analysis of rugby. So, I just wanted to pick your brains on a couple of things that uh, are irked in New Zealand. Um, one of them is the box kick, the the box kick from the halfback over the scrum seems to be quite a major ploy or a major use of ball which I scratch my head at sometimes have you done any research or work on box kicking yeah so um, it's the feelings the same up in uh, up in the northern hemisphere as well Um, the box kick particularly off the back of the caterpillar look is um, is particularly hated Um, it's quite interesting that in that teams generally retain about about 14% of the kicks um, they make. So um, it's, it, you mentioned obviously just before we started recording about kind of you've got, when you've got the ball, you've got the ball. And when you kick it, um, you've got a you know, 50-50 chance of getting it back. Um, in, in reality, the likelihood of getting it back is quite a lot lower. Mm. Um, but the benefit of, of those opportunities when you do get it back, there seems to be quite a significant benefit in terms of overall success on how many of those kicks you can retain. So the league I look at probably most often um, is the URC. And at the moment, Leinster, there are, I think, 16 games unbeaten in the URC. Um, and unsurprisingly, they, they also lead the league in, in retaining um, their own kicks. Um, and if you imagine that, they, they can retain about, about 50 kicks a season. Um and if you think about that, that's 50 opportunities to attack broken fields. And so, although kicking, and I, I, I quite like kicking, but I, I understand why people don't like it. I also understand why it's a barrier to, to new people entering the game. But one of the things it does do is it does create this broken field, um, which is really hard to get um, if you're just one team lining up and, and going through kind of 15, 20 phases. Um, there was a really good uh, sentence in Eddie Jones's playbook back when he was with Japan, where it was basically said, um, we don't want to kick the ball, but unless we kick the ball, we play against 50-man defensive lines. Mm. And I think that's probably the most succinct explaining about why teams why teams are kicking and particularly why we've seen so much of the, of the box kick recently. Yeah, I, I've, um, I mentioned to you earlier... Uh, before the call, that um, I've become a big fan of watching Ireland in this massive green wave and no one seems to stand out because it's just green man to green man and then there's three green men and then there's three green men out the other side and they and it's a wave upon wave upon wave. What, what have you seen from Ireland? And I think even more recently in this current Six Nations, I've been really impressed with Scotland's strike play. 
Um, what have they? What have Scotland done uh, to to make themselves such a threat attacking wise? The Six Nations. Yeah, so I think I think they, they're two really interesting teams uh, to look at because for the long time, uh, Ireland's kind of entire plan was to hold onto the ball for, for as long as they possibly could and hope that the opportunities kind of emerged. Um, that's still something that they're doing, but they're much more successful now than they were even just a few years ago. You know, just that ability to, to control possession, um, it, it makes a massive difference. And, you know, they're, they're actually not, not quite leading the, um, the Six Nations. Um, Italy have slightly more possession than them. But Ireland just dominate um, the territory. And so they're a really fascinating team to watch from from that perspective. I think Scotland are, are quite different in that they have less possession. Um, there's out of interest, there's, there's very little correlation between possession and success. Um, yeah, we can think of teams who are really successful with with loads of possession, and teams who are really successful with with very little possession. Um, but you know, it is it does suggest a playing style. And Scotland really are quite low on the possession. But one of the things that we see a lot of from them, and this has been developing over the years, so um, up until, basically up until the Six Nations, they had A.B. Zonga uh, as their attack coach, and, and he's left now. Um, but a, a big part of what they were trying to do was get the ball in Finn Russell's hands just as much as they possibly could. Um, and you can see that developing in their playing style where there's very few other people who are who are getting the ball who are making those decisions. Um, occasionally you'll see Sioni to a Pilotto, um with ball in hand, but traditionally he's, I guess t- typically he's been used as kind of a, a foil for Finn Russell to have a little bit more time and a little bit more space. Um, Ireland, although they're struggling really to find a replacement for Sexton. They have so many people who can use the ball, who can have the ball and who ha- who are attacking weapons. And so although they're quite different uh, teams in terms of what they're doing, you can really see quite similar playing styles um, and quite similar results. You know, they've, Ireland have scored 13 tries, Scotland have scored 12 tries in the Six Nations so far, and they're the top one and two. So they're they're using very different ways of getting to essentially the same the same result or the same answer. What about um, there was always that, uh, and it's a while ago that Southern Hemisphere teams used to run the ball and counter attack, and Northern Hemisphere played ten man rugby. How how important is the ten and their effectiveness and the amount of times you've just touched on it with Finn Russell? How many times he gets his hands on the ball? If you've got a good ten, you want it in his hands as often as possible. Basically, yeah. So, so a, a big part um, of how teams play is is based on how much they want. I guess how how risk averse they are. So, if you look at a team like England at the moment, obviously under Steve Borthwick, um, he's come from Leicester Tigers, and, and their playing style last year when they won the Premiership was incredibly risk averse. So, they had very low um, possession. Um, but very high tackle success rate and very high turnovers. Um, and so they were playing off opposition mistakes. And that's something that Wales are, are, are trying to do at the moment, obviously less successfully than Leicester were. Um, 
But if you look at England, they can essentially, oppositions can essentially remove Owen Farrell or Marcus Smith from the game when they're playing Tang and they still are successful. Um, so I looked this week at what happened when, when key fly halves were removed from, from the game. And I think there's a couple of interesting points that come from this. So there's big chunks of, of games where fly halves don't get the ball in their hand. So this Six Nations, um, the lowest gap between passes for fly halves um, was Unkitamak uh, against Italy, where he went eight minutes and 34. In, in, that's game minutes. So say from the 12th minute to the, to the 20th minute, he didn't make a single pass against Italy. Um, and the most is, is also interestingly as, as Unkitamak against, against uh, Scotland, where he went for 20 minutes. So he went for the entire quarter of the game without even touching the ball. Now, generally, when that happens, teams will lose that period of time that their fly half doesn't have the ball um, and normally lose by a lot. Interestingly, England, when they've gone through those those periods of time, so Owen Farrell didn't receive the ball for the pass for 19 minutes against Italy, 16 minutes against Wales, and Marcus Smith for 17 minutes against Scotland. So huge amounts of time where their fly half wasn't making passes. And yet England won those periods 29 points to seven. So in those situations, England can just it can go, go to a different approach. Whereas Scotland, um, and to a slightly less extent France, when you remove Finn Russell or when you remove Untermack from the game, those teams will lose. And they will lose those, those periods of time quite significantly. So for some teams, we're seeing a move away from uh, the 10 being the, the crucial player. And you're seeing the, this this different operation of, of other people stepping in. Um, but for the other teams, Scotland probably the, the most critical. When Finn Russell's not there or when he's not um, effective in the game, the whole team is, is suffering and they, they're, their performance is dropping significantly. Yeah, it's amazing because we see, uh, like in our Super Rugby here, if Richie Moonga plays well, the Crusaders play well. If Bowden Barrett plays well, the Blues plays well. Um, the the criticism or early criticism or early observation of the Hurricanes is they probably don't have a ten of that ilk, so they can't win a competition, and it's and the importance on that. But through your analytics, um, we're talking to Sam Lana, of course. Uh, actually, I'll just mention um, he's got an Instagram called Whiteboard Rugby, which has got a lot of very easy to follow, understand things. Um, also sought after by Rugby World Magazine, World Rugby website, and more recently, Rugby Pass. So you know what you're talking about. In, in all your research and analytics, have you ever come across some things that have surprised you? You thought, oh, I'll look at um, strike plays from a line-out. Uh, do you throw to the front, the middle, or the back? Um, rolling malls, all these sorts of things. Is there anything that you've you've stumbled across and, and it sort of surprised you? Yeah, so there's there's a few things that over the years have, have been a quite big shock. Um, so at, at various points, it's become clear that penalties uh, don't matter a huge amount. Um, so obviously we we've been kind of fed this idea that you know the team who concedes the most penalties loses. Um, now where well, so there's some fact to that. So. Typically, it's you know it's not a good idea to concede penalties, especially attacking penalties. There's no there's no benefit to that. Um, what we do often find is that if you're conceding a penalty uh, in your own twenty-two, and you're not getting a yellow card for it, that's probably not a very bad 
penalty to, to concede. It might actually be a beneficial penalty con- to concede. Mm. Equally, um, if you're in the opposition 22 and you're really going at their their uh, luck, and so occasionally you're going to be winning that ball back, those penalties aren't too bad to concede either because the opposition kicks to the sideline. They might win the line out, but then they're immediately going to kick back to you in, in most cases, not always, but in most cases. So I think that was a real shocking insight to find that that teams who can see you the most penalties didn't didn't lose. Um, in fact, there was quite there was really no correlation between penalties conceding and, and losses. That goes against, um, I think, a lot of rugby traditions and a lot of what's what gets handed down. Um, I think as well a, a big part was the idea that. So generally, the most hated statistic out there is is meters carried. So people hate that because they assume that just you know fullbacks get the ball and get forty meters just easily, where there's a, a prop getting forty meters will we'll find it a lot harder. So where's the, there's some truth to that. There is quite a high correlation between meters gained and your overall success. Um, and so generally, the team who gains the most meters um, will win the match. You know, more often than not, um, and again, that that is an interesting one because that goes against a lot of uh, perceived wisdom in um, in rugby. Um, and then the, the the last one, which perhaps isn't as much of a shock, but probably calls into question kind of how we sometimes broadcast the game and, and what we talk about during those broadcasts, is that tackle success ends up being a key part. But actually, it's it's the the, the raw number of, of missed tackles, which is generally the the bigger issue, and that makes sense, I guess. You know, ninety percent tackle success rate uh, when you make a hundred tackles um, is a lot better than ninety percent tackle success rate when you make two hundred tackles, because you know you're giving the op- uh, the opposition twenty more, or sorry, ten more, um, you know, line breaks or, or opportunities to attack. Um, and so I think they're they're the kind of the biggest ones where. I see what people talk about. I see the kind of received wisdom of, of that, and actually, the truth is is a little bit different. And lastly, Sam, I wanted to ask you about. Um, it's almost celebrated when a team they have the phase counter up next to the clock on the graphic, and it says they've done fourteen phases. This is amazing. Uh, but our most tries scored within I don't know two or three phases of set piece, and and that's where the effectiveness is. Yeah, so so generally, um, the phases are scored in the, earlier than the count. Um, so, and that that typically makes sense. So, just just to give you some examples, in the Six Nations this year, um, a, a third of all tries have come off first phase, wow. um, and uh, over fifty percent. In fact, over so yeah, over fifty percent have come. Um, in the first three phases, um, so you know, generally those, those tries are scored. The most popular phase to score the try is the first phase, and the majority of tries are scored in the first three phases. Um, but there are still a lot of uh, tries scored beyond that. So again, in the Six Nations this year, thirteen percent of tries, which equates to seven uh, in, in kind of raw numbers, have been scored uh, in ten or more phases. So. There, it, whilst it is true that those early phases are kind of the most productive, there's still a lot of, of tries are scored later on, um, and you can you can often see this in the in the statistics. Um, typically, certain teams will be 
will be better as the count goes on. So typically those teams who are more used to controlling possession for long periods of time. So that would be teams like um, South Africa, uh, Ireland. Um, South Africa really only in the opposition 22. Generally, they, they're not a high possession team. Um, and, and and then if we look at kind of club rugby, you know, the extra chiefs in the UK are probably the 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 archetypal team who, who holds on to possession. So those teams will tend to do better as the phase count goes up, whereas there are some teams who want to strike early, and if they can't strike early, um, they're generally going to struggle. So that phase counter, um, typically, as it goes up, the chances of scoring a try go down, um, but it does depend a little bit on, on which team is attacking. And last, last thing, because I just thought of another one I wanted to ask you. When the referee says to the captain, you can have the scrum or the line out, which one should they take? It's a great, it is a great question. Um, so um, the line out leads to, by a massive margin, more tries than the scrum. Um, so, again, just using the uh, the um, Six Nations figures, so 44% of, of all tries have come from a line out. Not, not immediately afterwards, so not the first phase, but they've, that's been the starting point. Um, 20% have come from counter-attack, so that's kicking back, uh, the turning kicks basically as, as the start. Um, 15% have come from turnovers, um, and just 11% have come from the scrum. So as a massive margin, the line out leads to more scrums. Um, and it is a better attacking weapon. So especially if you're in the opposition 22, you'd be better off going for a line out than a scrum. But the tap penalty um, is starting to kind of edge ahead of the line out. As you can imagine, the line out, even in the 22, where you're going to wing it a lot more because the opposition tends not to jump, um, your, your success isn't 100%. Whereas with a tap penalty, you're, you're going to at least have the ball for kind of one phase basically 100% of the time. Um, you probably also notice that, that referees tend to keep a closer eye on the things that they will ignore in the rest of the pitch. So things like sealing off in the in the mall, which very rarely gets called anywhere else, will get called um, when, when it's in the opposition 22. Um, so the more technical the the set piece, so scrum's the most technical, that's the worst option because it's there's so little control. You know, you could get pinged for something you've been doing all match. Uh, the line out is a little bit less technical in terms of what the referees spot, and so that will be, be more effective. But then the tap penalty is incredibly untechnical, and so um, that's probably, according to the current stats, probably the best choice, especially when you're close to the opposition line. His Twitter name is Sam L Stands Up. I would uh, recommend you follow him and go through his analysis. Uh, it's been brilliant to catch up with you today, Sam. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's been great. Yeah, I always find it fascinating to talk to people that understand a game on a different plane, and Sam Lanner does that. Sam L Stands Up is where you can find him on Twitter, Instagram, Whiteboard Rugby is what he's got, and I've actually uh, I've just um, gone on there, just to give you a, a bit of an idea. So from very basics right through to a little bit more um, in-depth, um, like teaches people how does, how does offside work in rugby. That's one of them. What actually happens in a scrum? How does a line-out function? Uh, a basic guide to the breakdown. 
and why does it matter? The basics of an attack, how do teams create misdirection? And he does it all on a whiteboard. Um, what's the modern hybrid defence? So there's a few little bit more technical. How do you win a collision in rugby? And he gives you some pointers. Why do so many forwards stand on the wing? This video will explain all. So whiteboard rugby on Instagram. Captain K's nodding. I think he's just followed it. And he can have a little look at that. And he can become my new rugby um, guru, my analytical guru. Uh, So Sam L stands up. Good insights there. Very good insights. Um, Adding on to, we we had our Teamless Tuesday. Just want to clean up some things that people have said. Team list. Uh, team list, what was it? Draft day. Draft day, Tuesday. <sighs> Good promo, the run home. First thirty. run home, four to seven. Beaver and Kirst. Beaver and Kirst today? Beaver and Kirst today. Uh, someone's list, their top five things about driving they don't like. Number one, potholes. Mm-hmm. Number two, New Zealand transport. <laughs> Is that Waka Kotahi? Is that New Zealand transport, I think? Uh, number three, cyclists. Number four, cycle lanes. I'm not going to get into that debate. Although I, what I will say, when I shifted to Auckland, I was very fortunate. I had a fantastic road bike that a friend of mine sold me. He might well be listening. Hello, Sean. He sold me a fantastic Fuji, very light road bike, and I loved it. I used to ride in Wellington. Bought it to Auckland, rode it three times, Saw my life go flash before my eyes. Auckland roads aren't built for riding bikes. That's the problem. The, for me, the problem isn't the cyclist. The problem is the road not being wide enough. It, it scared me. So I sold my bike. Haven't ridden a bike since. Just scared me. And I actually asked um, uh, Mark Richardson, who did um, triathlons and stuff, I said, do you ever get knocked off your bike or do you get close? And he goes, he puts his bike in the car and drives out of town for an hour and goes for rides out in the country and then puts it back in the car and drives. So she can't drive around, ride around the streets in Auckland. And that's probably the problem. And then number five was government. The problem with driving in New Zealand is government. That's an interesting one. It's just a personal attack. Like yes. He ran out like us. He got yeah, to four I've and he was like, four. yeah, yeah, here we ah, go. Ah, the government. The government. Well, change your government and improve your um, passion for driving? Surely... Full beam lights in your rear vision mirror at night is worse than government when it comes to driving. <laughs> oh, I can see Beaver. He's he's in the studio. Don't know if he can hear me. Can you hear me, Beaver? Give me a wave. No, he's engaged in something else. He's got the Chiefs flag up too. He's got the Chiefs flag up. We will take a break for new sport and weather. Still to come, we'll have a look back what happened on this day in history and we're going to catch up with the great man, Jimmy Smith. I bet he wants to talk about the Kings. I bet he wants to talk about the Sydney Kings. We'll find out that at about quarter two. But for now, John McNeil with the news. Here's what happened back in the day. 7th March. Back in the day, 1970, on the 7th of March, Australian's triple Formula One champion Jack Brabham won his 14th and final Grand Prix at Kailami Circuit in South Africa. Across his 15-year career, uh, Jack won three championships. Count them. 1959, 1960, and 1966. In 1988, Jeff Fennick became only the 11th boxer in history to win three world titles in three different divisions. Round 10, we 
Pressure into Collegius, just trying to stay away from the ever onward assault of Jeff Fennick. Victor Collegius up against the rope. There's the body punch. Back goes. Uh, it's all over. And in true Australian form, calling him Victor Collegius, it's Callihus. It was the 10th round in the, for the featherweight crown. He already had the super bantamweight and bantamweight. Jeff Fennick, one of the greats. 2004, Australian golfer, I remember this, people. Craig Perry hold a spectacular 160-metre fairway shot for an eagle on the first playoff hole against Scott Verplank at the Ford Classic at Doral. Solid shot. This is a good-looking shot. This going at the hole. What a shot by Craig Perry! Unbelievable! Championship over! Yes, Popeye Perry had forearms like Popeye. He nearly missed the first round when he slept through his alarm and his brother actually woke him up 15 minutes before tee-off. Teed off in his pyjamas. No, he didn't. He went on and scored 71 in the first round and then had 67, 65, 68 and forced the playoff and then did that. Slam dunk the plunk. Birthdays today. So Vivian Richards turned 70 today. Oh, the master blaster. Did love watching him. Australian legendary pioneering surfer Mark Richards turned 65 today. Czech tennis great Ivan Lendl turning 62 and remembers that caller said they wanted to go back and watch Pat Cash play Ivan Lendl back in the day 62 today Irish rugby first five Ronan O'Gara turns 45 today and former UFC flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko suffered a loss on Sunday she's turning 34 and my beautiful sister Tracy is turning another year older today happy birthday Tracy we'll have some chicken wings and squid rings Later, something like that. On this day, in 1987, topping the box office was A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh, sing along to this at home. This was the number one song in 87. Stadium ground announcer. That's better than Sweet Caroline. That's what the Wellington Sevens had. Bon Jovi. Oh, ignite it up. Tune. <laughs> Tune, lads. I feel like Sarah Alma there. I'm catching my breath now. <laughs> you were hard out on the air guitar. You were hard the, out on the drums. I was on the eardrums. Niff was blasted out holding the microphone. We'd make the perfect band. We would. We would. One more text on the uh, on the road 
the Road Warriors. This is a good one from Aaron. Aaron says, hey, guys, I've got a mate that tailgates that bad on road trips. I reckon he could hook into the Bluetooth on the car in front. You know who you are, Scotty. Scotty, are you listening? Aaron's on to you. You don't need to share the Bluetooth off the car in front of you. Bluetooth is free. Bluetooth is free. There we go. I think I've cleared all the um I think I've cleared all the text messages. I have. I'm doing I'm doing a great job. I'm doing a great job. Everyone that texts, I've read it out today. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I have. Anyway, we're gonna go across the ditch to Jimmy Smith. He's the host of SEN in Australia. He sent me through a couple of things he wants to talk about, which is very rare. Let's have a look what he says. Let's get some answers ready for him. He wants to talk about the Warriors, the magic round, flop or success. Actually, text through your answers to this, and I'll speak on behalf of New Zealand when I speak to Jimmy Smith. He wants to talk about the Warriors, the magic round for Super Rugby, flop or success. Breakers Kings, I knew he'd want that. He's got a question from a listener. About Roger Tuivasa-Shek, where does he fit into the All Blacks? Where does he fit Reevee All Blacks, sorry? Is he going to make it? Ken, look forward to your text <laughs> in support of RTS. Jimmy Smith after the break. Jimmy Smith's on time. He's been late in recent times, um, sort of by 12 seconds. The agreement is now. Jimmy Smith, not there. Agreement was six, seven, seven seconds ago, eight seconds ago, ten seconds ago. That was the time. Oh, here he is. Now you're just showing off. Now you're just showing <laughs> off. And you know, you know what you're doing? You're, you're making all your Kiwi listeners think less of themselves and think, oh, look at Staffy. He can count to 12. <laughs> I can count he's to 12 pra- seconds late. Yeah, he's practically a genius. Hey, bro. <laughs> Come on, cuz. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've got a listener. Uh, I know that's breaking news as well, but his name's Swivel. <laughs> yep. And he says, can you ask Staffy, what's the Kiwi consensus on RTS? He played very well against the Brumbies on Sunday. I wonder where he fits into the All Blacks now. Look, consensus of opinion was it was his best half of rugby, the first half uh, for the Blues last week. Um, but it's interesting. New Zealand opinion is divided on Roger. Wonderful athlete, tremendous rugby league player. Has he done enough to cement a spot in the All Blacks? For me, no, um, because we've got good depth in that position. They did say at the start of this year um, there was talk that he would become a bit more versatile, so we might see him on the wing. Haven't seen that yet. I think if he can add some versatility, he might sneak in. But um, I know the Blues fans out there, they love him, like Ken in particular. You don't need to text in. I know you love Roger, and they think he's good enough to be there. But we're, we're quite blessed with good midfielders, and he's going to have to be pretty special with the Super Rugby to make the World Cup. What's he being paid, roughly? Lots. Right, okay. okay. So, so my, my next question is, is he, is he uh, showing value for the Auckland Blues and New Zealand Rugby Union? The, the answer would be no for New Zealand Rugby Union. On the field, I'd have to probably say no. Um, off the field, it's a great marketing coup, but that probably marketing coup appetite's probably gone now. Uh, he, he'd get paid more if he went and played league. I'd put it that way. He's a million-dollar player still, probably, I would imagine. He ain't a million-dollar all-black. Okay, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. I, I think he'd be worth more than that. Uh, he, the other thing about Roger that I'm, I'm sure that's come through in the, the stuff that you've seen around the Auckland Blues, he's the ultimate 
professional. Well, absolutely. I've I've had players tell me, not since, and it's another league convert, Sonny Bill Williams brought a whole new level of professionalism when it came to diet, recovery, yep. rest, um, training, discipline, 24-7 in your life. Sonny Bill Williams carved a whole new way that you do that in rugby um, and Roger's doing it as well in rugby. Absolute professional and, and a tremendous bloke. I've, I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again for the New Zealand listeners. When he came to the Roosters as an 18-year-old, they were they put him into first-grade training and they had all, you know, they're running the plays and, and they've all got their name, right? They've all got a name. So he said, oh, uh, he said Matt Elliott was the assistant coach at the time. What, what, what are all those players? What are their names? And he went through them with him. He went home. He wrote them down in his playbook. And then he brought that to training the next day, and the next day he knew every play already, 18 years of age. Wow. Wow. Jeez, yeah. yeah. that's a habit you want from 18, isn't it? Oh, that that's the guy you want. Right, let's build a club around this person, mm. just every, everything that they bring. Hey, what about the Warriors? I, did I see Sam Hewitt skipping down the streets of Auckland um, on yes. Friday night? Nude, yeah. <laughs> It was actually Wellington, oh, but it was actually Wellington. Oh, sorry, sorry, you're right, Wellington. Wellington. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, actually, the feedback on the Warriors so far for our good Australian listeners is, I think, after many years of disappointment, we have grown something that we haven't had for a long time in sport in New Zealand. That's patience, and I think, <laughs> and I, and I think, if we can get top ten. I think we'd see that as win. And all people have been saying for years and years and years about the one New Zealand Warriors, they are called now, is fight. Don't, you know, love to win games, but we want ticker, we want fight, and you see that in defence, and we saw that last week. I think the best defensive effort I've seen from the Warriors for a long, long time, as far as ticker went. Yeah, just turning up that last, you know, Chance Nickel Crookstar was there a couple of times, but just turning up, which is exactly what you... So the... Um, I, I can't believe you'd be happy with 10. Yep, we would, mate. No, don't. Please don't start. Yeah, we're satisfied with 10th. Um, it's year. funny you mention that because the, the Newcastle Knights had a side that won the Wooden Spoon one year. I think it was 2005, and they had people turning up in their droves just because they played their hardest every week. Mm. And that's what we want from our from our Warriors. Yeah. And I think the, the, there were big question marks about um, Mitch Barnett. Tick the box. Fantastic. Yep. Um, Chance, as you mentioned, tick the box. Sean Johnson, glimpses there. Um, yes. when, when Metcalf's fully fit, he will be challenging for Sean Johnson's spot. And Sean's a competitor, and I think his game will raise. I really hope it, hope it does. When the Warriors are firing, when they're winning, New Zealand's a glorious country to live in, Jimmy Smith. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, I read an article about the the success or lack thereof of Magic Round for Super Rugby. What was your take on it? Could I just read a text from a listener? Super Rugby is the biggest flop. Super Rugby Round is the biggest flop since Super Rugby started. Why would you go to a state that hates rugby and only cares about AFL or NRL at a push? Point taken. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that, so that was the other thing. Is is Magic Round for Super Rugby a flop, or is Magic Round in Melbourne a flop? And if if so, what's your what's your other venue? 
Look, I don't, I don't want to take away anything from the people that actually went. And we've got Darren, who's a listener from Melbourne. He absolutely loved it, took, took mates that had never been to rugby. They loved it. I think the concept is good. I think it's great for the expat Kiwis, uh, Samoans, Tongans, Fijians to go and support their teams as well. I think it's fantastic for them. But surely Sydney, which if there is a rugby capital of Australia, it's probably Sydney. But dare I even say Canberra, who get the odd country and western singer and maybe an art exhibition once a year. Give Canberra something worth going to. Hang on. Just Gough Whitland bought blue poles from Jackson Pollock for $5 million <laughs> back in 1974. You know how much that painting's worth now? No. $500 million. So you just calm down about the uh, art exhibitions <laughs> down there in the nation's capital. Uh <laughs> Breakers and the Kings, Kings and the Breakers, uh, they win one over here, we win one over there. This is tight. They reckon they'll get about 15,000, 16,000 there on Friday night. This is big, Staffy, especially given the little bet that you and I have going on. Oh, it's it's a monster. But could I just say that the concept of the regular season finish and then we waited about 10 days for the finals, they have two games in two days and then we wait nearly a week for the next one. It's really drawn out and it can lose a little bit of impetus. But apart from that, one all, one away. So now we know both of them can win in the away gyms. Great. Massive focus on this Friday. Yeah, going to be huge. Andrew Bogart had his say. We had Paul Smith, the owner of the Kings. He had his say on that. No one liked it. They just had to get it done earlier before that FIBA window. But anyway, they couldn't quite do it. I tell you what, you've been strong today, Staffy. Three Dally M points to you. In fact, maybe both judges gave them gave you three. So maybe six votes to you. Six and one for Roger. And one for Roger. Yep. Uh, none for Sam. More clothes required next time he's in Wellington. <laughs> all right? so, thank you, buddy. Cheers, Sam. Cheers, Jimmy. Oh, poor Sammy doesn't have a clue that we're talking about that. Tell Jimmy that I can count to 117th. <laughs> Great. And uh, he's on more. He's on more than anyone in New Zealand rugby except Bowden. Roger? Is he? Is he? Take a break. We'll wrap it up after this.